Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. You're rocking with the most awesome The Carl Nelson Show. Happy Hump Day, Wake Up Squad. Thanks for continuing to start your days with us. Later, naturopathic doctor Stephen Tate will take over our classroom. We call him Dr. Tate. Dr. Tate will explain why the CDC is predicting an outbreak of what he terms fungal apocalypse, also COVID. Before we hear from Dr. Tate, the faith panel will join us. Before the religious session, we'll get an update on the move to save a black cemetery in Bethesda, Maryland, with Robert Stubberfield. But to get us started this morning, the Reverend Anthony Williams is back to uh, fill us in on his efforts to get violence declared a public health crisis. Good morning, Reverend Anthony Williams. Welcome back to the program. Good morning, Mr. Nelson. Good morning, and God bless you in the audience. Uh, I understand you've you've been been uh, taking your your issue now to the uh, to the campuses. Is that true? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, uh, South Suburban College, which I happen to uh, serve as a trustee at, uh, took up my recommendation to do a major. Uh, uh, workshop and panel discussion on understanding violence as a public health crisis, but also how to combat violence by using a, a, a simple formula called civility. And it was a, it was a, it's a great opportunity. Uh, no college campus has ever uh, explored this, uh, this idea in terms of educating the students and the public in terms of understanding the impact of violence, what it has on us as individuals and the society at large. So it was a tremendous, tremendous uh, 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 event. So uh, we got other things coming up, but hopefully the model that uh, South Suburban College is putting in place can, uh, can, can ripple across uh, college campuses. And, you know, you've been talking about this for quite some time now. Have you had any pushback? It's anybody from your church and in the religious circles are saying, Rev, you need to focus on something else. Have you had that yet, experienced that yet? No, I haven't. I get resistance, but no pushback because uh, everyone knows it's true. Uh, I heard you mention about the CDC. You know, the, C- the CDC has been warning us for years uh, that uh, this this violence is is pandemic. Uh, the medical community uh, has told us that you know violence is a disease, but not in but it's not a contagious and it's infectious. So it's out there, but you know the resistance comes uh, not so much from the public at large, but it comes from the elected officials who are in denial of uh, what we're dealing with and what we're facing. Right. You say it's, it's uh, not contagious, but infectious. Can you explain the difference uh, for some folks? Well, you know, uh, 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 you know, if you know the difference, you know, in simplicity, you know, when something is contagious, you catch it. And uh, nine times out of 10, you, you, you got to get some type of medication with it, uh, some type of vaccine. 
because it's contagious. It'll spread the spread, but when it's infectious, uh, that's a whole different mantra because, you know, you can isolate it and, and you can deal with it individually, whereas when something is contagious, it impacts the the, the it, the, the the collective body of society. So there's a there's a big difference. So it's just educating people to understand that this is not that that we have to look at violence scientifically also too instead of uh, uh, you know it's just happening uh, just out of nowhere. Yeah, you know, five after the top. You mentioned earlier that uh, about the CDC. Have you taken this this uh, this thesis that you have uh, to the CDC or to the health officials, so they they can declare that violence really is a public health crisis? Well, the bottom line is the CDC has already indicated that, but once again, that's the not the, the denial uh, of, of government officials. As a matter of fact. They cut funding uh, this year uh, to the CDC, which is crazy how, you know, you don't cut funding to an institution that warns the citizens about uh, diseases and, 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 other, and, and, and infectious things that, that can harm us. You, you, you had to undergird that type of system. So I have spoken with the CDC, and uh, uh, they used to come out to your community, they would travel to your community and speak for free. Now, they charge you if you if you uh, if you invite them to come out. So you know they they they're not getting the support from my government like they should. They brought us through the uh, the, uh, the COVID crisis, and they're still warning us about COVID. But yet, our government uh, seems to uh, not want to give them the proper support that they need too. So. That's just what we as the public get in terms of how. Yeah, well, let me ask you this then. Do you think somebody is gaining someone somewhere or group is really profiting from the the uh, the recurring violence? It's it's in our community. Oh, of course, it's big business because, you know, what do people do? They go out and they buy more guns, more security, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. When it, it doesn't take all that, all it takes is just. Uh, 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 being civil, the role of government is to keep a keep to, for a civil society. Civil. It means we need to be civil. Uh, when you talk about civility, then each individual takes it upon himself to be able to 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 work towards being calm and cool and steady. Uh, the highest form of civility. Is nonviolence, but this generation uh, has wax ears to that type of conversation. But it works if it didn't work because, you know, I always deal with structural violence. And if you look at history, uh, the, the authentic civil rights leaders like Dr. King and others, they understood that that segregation was a violent system. They were clear on that. But it was the approach they took. They took a nonviolent approach. They took a civil approach and 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 fighting that that Leviathan. And so if we're going to be able to address violence correctly in this in this country, then you know, we need a national plan of civility to address the issue. You gotta educate people. That's what we did at the college. We're educating the public what this is. Uh collaboration to attack structural violence. 
civility. That's the basic foundation of people engaging with each other. Uh, how do you deal with conflict resolution? How do you deal with yourself? How do you deal with your mental, your, your own mental health and the mental health of others in the society around you? And then uh, properly redirecting funding, public policies, and programming. Those three things, uh, those are the four steps to be able to deal with its civility by way of civilness. And, and you know, uh, uh, Reverend Williams, when you talk about uh, conflict resolutions, because some people think when you when you, you know refer to violence, it's, it's street violence and what we saw on January 6th, that, that kind of violence. But you, you're also referring to violence like one-on-one, like domestic violence as well. Am I correct in saying that? Hopefully we haven't lost the... Reverend Williams, I heard a click like his phone died, but hopefully we'll get him back so he can explain why he says, and he's adamant about this, that violence should be declared a public health crisis. Uh, in fact, he, he walked from Chicago to Washington, D.C. at one time to, uh, to, to, to publicize, if you will, the fact that, he, that the violence should be declared a public health crisis. And he's one of the few persons who were looking at violence and, and, and saying it's structural, as you mentioned. I mean, you get him to explain what he means when he says it's structural as well. Because a lot of times we see things going on and we, and we just, you know, just say, hey, it is what it is. And we keep moving. But some people see things and they go, oh, no, we, we got to make a change. I got to stand up. I, this can't go on. I got to step in and we got to figure out what's going on. This is what Reverend Anthony Williams does, uh, and this is what he does as, as a pastor in the Chicagoland area. So we're going to hear more from him. But later this morning, too, we're going to speak to another a panel of, of uh, preachers, and they're going to talk about uh, preachers hating on each other. So this is going to be an interesting conversation this morning. And, of course, he, he mentioned health crisis. And uh, Dr. Tate is going to be with us later. He's going to tell us about why the CDC is predicting an outbreak of fungal apocalypse. I've never heard of that before, so I'm sure many of you may have not heard of that term, of fungal apocalypse. And it's going to probably tell us why in the fall is when all these problems come up. It seems like, you know, we go through all the winter now, it's starting to get cooler, we have all these problems. Uh, and who else is we have on, on deck today? Oh, yeah, we're going to talk about that Black Cemetery in Bethesda, Maryland. There's been some movement there. Robert Stubfield's going to join us. You know, the group has been fighting for for years now to stop the, this is in Bethesda, there's a, a Black Cemetery where many of our ancestors are buried, and they just bulldoze over that black cemetery. You know, remains uh, body remains, body parts, and parts of coffins and stuff like that are, be, are being dug up and just tossed to the side. So it's interesting that that, that and I've always asked them this because I've seen the same thing happen in different cities. We saw what happened in New York, in Lower Manhattan. What happened? The brothers in, in New York they went down there, laid in front of those tractors. Said, yeah, you're not going to do this. Not on our watch. You're not going. You're not going to disrespect our ancestors like that. And I saw the response in in the in the DMV, and it's sort of tepid. And I keep asking them, why is why is the brother what 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 is the difference? And then we saw the, the, the there's one in Tampa which they negotiated, uh, and, and it could have been because the group down there, Scientology group, was was more open to discussing you know the city building out on on different platforms and, and, you know, desecrating a black cemetery and they agreed to stop the building. And, and, and but so, so far our, our friends in the DMV here have not made, made any headroom in stopping this. As we speak, there's going to be bulldozers on that ground this morning, uh, digging up the remains of our, of our ancestors. We've had people who have actual relatives buried on that site and, and, and they have testified too that, you know, that, that that's a problem to see their ancestors remains being dug up and tossed to the side. But we haven't seen, and I, and I will ask them again, you know, I haven't seen 
uh, people come out, they've demonstrated, you know, a few come out and demonstrate, but it doesn't seem to doesn't seem to pique the interest or, or, or get people worked up like, like the brothers and sisters in New York City did. The fact that you're not going to do this, you know, if you lay down in front of a tractor and, and dare them to come and, and, and kill you because you're not going to disrespect our people like that. And, and I keep, and there's no no shade on, on our brothers and sisters in, in in the DMV era, but we need to see some action. <laughs> you know, I just you know from a from an observer, we need some side of action. That's when I talk about the energy difference there, the energy difference. And and, and Doctor uh, Professor Small mentioned this. You know, the, the, how how the brothers in Lower Manhattan did that and, and stopped all of that, stop stop them from desecrating the cemetery and 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 trying to build on on the bones and and the remains of our ancestors. Sisters and, and it's and they stopped it. They were successful. I haven't seen that yet. So maybe when we have that uh, conversation with our brothers and sisters who were part of that group, uh, uh, trying to block the desecration of that black cemetery in Bethesda, Maryland. That's a, uh, and for those listening around the country, that's just outside of Washington D.C. It's a wealthy area, by the way. You know, but and they have some, of course, with all things like this, when they they go after us, they have some complicity with some people who look like us who really don't care about us. But uh, you know, they'll take the money and and you know because we don't put enough pressure on them, probably. But we're going to get all into that later this morning. But tell you what, we're coming up on a break, and when we come back, hopefully, we get uh, Reverend Williams back. But we got to take our first look at the traffic and weather in our different cities, folks. You want to join this conversation about uh, Dr. Williams declaring violence uh, a public health crisis what to do about violence reach out to us at 800-450-7876 we'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in baltimore on 1010 wolb also in the dmv we're on fm 95.9 and am 1450 wol where information is power with us, folks, and thanks again for doing this this morning. At 20 minutes after the top of the hour, our guest is Reverend Anthony Williams out of Chicago. He's an activist uh, preacher, and he's, he's on this quest to declare violence the, 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 uh, as a declared a public health crisis. Reverend Williams, good morning. Welcome back. Uh, well, well, once again, and, uh, uh, Mr. Nelson, uh, for the record, we got a bill passed in Illinois, the Illinois Health Reform Bill. Uh, which declares violence in the state of Illinois a public health crisis. My biggest battle with the state of Illinois is getting them to implement the rule of law as it relates to this this great bill and to educate the citizens of Illinois what this is, with solutions. And we're working to do this at a national level. So the resistance, of course, is always there. But we just got to keep chugging along and continue to educate people because once you talk to a child and you tell them uh, what this is, they understand it is the role of the government to bring forth a to what to help to bring forth a civil society, and uh, they are 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 laxed in their responsibility. Uh, as it relates to us as citizens on this issue of violence as a public health crisis. The denial lies in this country with public officials. The scientific community has done their job. It is the public event, uh, officials who have failed to to properly address issues the correct way. With uh, I mean, uh, violence the correct way. We're not addressing the issue of violence the correct way. And that's the problem we have in America. 
right. Let me read you a tweet I got from Lisa, one of our charter listeners uh, on her way to work this morning in West Baltimore. Uh, Lisa says, tell the pastor that white folks are not interested in declaring violence as anything because when you research violence, they are the most dangerous and violent group on the planet. The only folks who are highlighted on the nightly news is blacks, but trust me, white folks' violence is documented. They go back 400 years. They have killed more people than anybody else. This is what the tweet I just read for you from uh, Sister Lisa in Baltimore. Your thoughts on that, Reverend Williams? Well, she's, she's, she's uh, absolutely correct that the, the dominant culture has been the perpetrator of violence. But now here we are, fast forward in the 21st century, violence is the number one problem of the 21st century. And I, I think the people that can best resolve the issue is black folks because we've been the most violated people ever on the planet. So she's absolutely right. So, well, you know, I mean, the task and the assignment we've been given is to educate people to understand what this is and how you combat it. And it can be combated by way of how we did it was through a legislative process changing the law. I mean, it's the same way uh, when you look at our history and you look at how King and others fought the, the demons of segregation and Jim Crowism and uh, the right to vote. Uh, they had to, the kingdom had to deal with structural violence. Uh, the word structural violence in the, in the dictionary it means to impede the progress of, of, of a group or a people. It's real. But we got and, to, and you know, to go at this. And I'm just following up on Lisa's tweet there at 24 out to the top there. Do you think if, if if you highlighted the fact what happened on January 6th as violence and that should be declared a public health crisis, what we saw at them trying to attack the Capitol, you think if you could couch your your thesis and place it on, on the grander scale so that everybody could see, so this is what I'm talking about, do you think that would be more effective? I think that's just that's that's one of the measurements that we can use because January 6th in this nation's capital was a violent event of American history. It was an act of violence. It was an act of treason. And so, I mean, you, as the young lady tweeted, you get to see the mindset of where a lot of people are at in this country. You know, they don't understand. They don't want to, to, to accept the, the sickness that we're in, uh, dealing with in this country, that the violence is a it's a disease, you know. So when I deal with violence, I want people to know when I talk about violence, I talk about violence as a disease. It is a disease. I'm not. But, 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 but let me interrupt for a second, though. But when you when you say that, though, doesn't that kind of take some folks off the hook when you say it's a disease? Because you know, unless it's a man-made disease, when isn't is that you know, give them a pass? No, I'm not taking my. They ought to have the reality. Look at what's wrong with it. Somebody tells me that I have. A disease and there's a cure. Uh, nine times out of ten, I'm gonna go for the I'm gonna go for the cure. And there is there is a cure to deal with violence. There is a cure. I mean, you know, uh, but like you say, the big business of violence. It's like in the medical community. They, you know, it's amazing how we haven't found the cure for cancer yet, but yet we found cures for other things. You know, it's. You know, the economics of this, uh, uh, the politics of this, and you had to be patient and you had to cut through all that mess because it's a bunch of mess. But when you have all the empirical evidence in front of you that points out what this is, you had to keep, you had to stay with the truth. And the thing is, I'm going to continue to tell people what this is, that violence 
is a disease, that violence is a public health crisis, that violence is the number one problem of the 21st century. And until we address it intelligently and correctly, we're going to have what we have. You can't police your way out of this. you got to deal with this demon for what it is. And the approach is, is, a, is a four-step process, not complicated. 27 at the top there. Mark's joining us from Baltimore City. Mark's on line one. Mark, good morning. You're on with Reverend Williams. Uh, yes, sir. Good morning, everybody. By the way, I hope everyone had a meaningful Labor Day holiday observance uh, earlier this week. Uh, my question, Reverend, is this. I belong to a, what we call in Baltimore a, a, a my police district, a community relations council, uh, the police department, where the neighbors and the police act together to help to counteract against violence and so forth. So we're working with the police themselves and asking them to, to protect us, you know, our property, ourselves, and so forth. Do you think that's an effective way to counteract against violence, knowing that uh, – I know there are a few bad apples in the police department, but there are very good ones as well who are concerned about our protecting society and our safety. Do you think that's a very effective way of doing things? I, I, I th- yes, sir. Any, there's a lot of people doing a lot of great work around the issue of violence, but the – but the problem becomes is do you know what you what do you really know what you're dealing with? And so I mean when you start talking with the police department or any other person that belongs to some type of social system and you run this down to them, many of them are astonished, many of them are in denial. And I just tell them I tell you what, Google it up and you'll see what it is. The information is out there. It's just using the common sense to do what we have to do. So I, I encourage you to continue to work with. Uh, those people in law enforcement, but you have to educate them too. And they need to understand what they're dealing with too. And we all need to understand what we're dealing with, that we that we are dealing with a public, we're dealing with a disease. And there's a way to deal with the disease. It's not complex, but citizens had to uh, push for policies and legislations that make us safer. That's what we did in the state of Illinois by getting the Illinois Health Reform Bill passed. We we requested hearings. We got hearings, and we went through the process. But what the mistake we made is that we didn't put an oversight committee with this brother Nelson. And so we've got to go back to the drawing board to really put some more teeth in addressing uh, the, the, the problem of violence in Illinois correctly. All right. Thank you very much. I uh, hope you have a good day. Bye-bye. Thank you. And let me, and in that point that you, with your, your request to the Illinois uh, lawmakers, do you think they just say, okay, we'll, we'll just give him this to appease him, get, and, you know, just get it off our desk. He's, he's talking about violence. We don't want to deal with that. We got other stuff we want to deal with. You think that's why they were so re- readily to do that? Now you're saying you have to go back and put some teeth into, into that legislation? Well, what happened when we did this, it was, we, we worked through the pandemic. You know, uh, I never stopped working. You know, we we never stopped working. We continued to push and push and push, and uh, till we till we finally got it through. But the thing is, is that uh, because of the lack of experience, we forgot to put oversight in it. That came after the fact. But now, what we're doing is some other things uh, to make it work in the state of Illinois, and also at the federal level, requesting of uh, Senator Tammy Duckworth to hold federal hearings on civilian violence as a as a public health crisis with a national plan of civility. 
they know and they have all the information, but it's that resistance. But you have to have the the patience to continue to push and uh, uh, and you just you just have to keep working at it. You can't give up if you're committed to something. That's a process, which you know. Right. 30 minutes at the top of the hour with, uh, I guess, Reverend Anthony Williams. He's pushing for violence to be cleared a public health crisis. He sees the violence uh, all around this country. And, he, and he, you know, this is this is what his slice of the pie is. And then he, that's what he's dealing with. Uh, let me ask you this, though, because next week, the Congressional Black Caucus is going to have their annual convention in, in, in D.C. And this will be a good uh, uh, platform for you to take this issue before those lawmakers, because I'm sure not all of them probably know about this. Do you think this would be a good idea to, to reach out to them uh, next week at, while, while they're in Washington, D.C.? They're all going to be uh, here. Uh, it, 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 would, it would be an excellent idea to, to do it. You know, I mean, you know, what I found out is that these government officials, they don't communicate with each other, uh, and they, they operate in silos also, too. So it, it would it would be great, particularly you know being there on the East Coast and getting that information to them. It's just finding the the, the uh, elected officials that you can uh, get their attention and get their ears to hear to hear what's happening. I mean, it's like look, they know what's going on. These elected officials, these congressmen, these senators, uh, the president, they 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 get information that the public doesn't get, and they know these things exist. Uh, a lot of times they try to just say, well, you know, the, the public doesn't need to know that uh, the information doesn't flow to us, but it's there. Uh, it's in black and white. It's in writing. Everything I'm saying, you can Google it up and you will see it's true. Until they address it properly, they're going to continue to get what they're going to get. You know, the Black Congressional Caucus needs to step up and really speak out because if they spoke out, Correctly, we could have an executive order for, for reparations, no debate. The president can do an executive order right now on on a national plan of civility right now. But the thing is that, you know, we as citizens have to be constitutionally sound and continue to push for the betterment of all. And that's the attitude I take, you know, where where there's a, you know, where there's a will, there's a way, as the old saying goes. So we just keep finding a way to do what we have to do and continue to educate people to understand, no, this ain't this ain't about no gun. This is about the fact that violence is a disease, and our approach to address, addressing the issue has to be changed to save us all. All right. Come up on our first look at the traffic, and uh, the, the, it actually gets away. Uh, the Congressional Black Caucus officially starts on the 20th, but most of them are going to be in town early. There are going to be a lot of sessions that are taking place starting next week. But we got to take our first look at the news, traffic, and weather in our different cities. We come back with Reverend Anthony Williams. He wants to explain when he says the violence is structural. If you can break that down for us, uh, maybe some people understand what you're trying to achieve. Folks, you want to join this conversation with Reverend Williams, reach out to us at 800 450 876 your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV or on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power. 
And good morning again, family. 20 minutes away from the top of the hour with our guest, the Reverend Anthony Williams out of Chicago. He's an activist preacher. He, he's declared that, and he wants the government to declare this, that violence is uh, also declared a public health crisis. He says that's the only way we're going to solve the violence in, in this country. What are your thoughts? 800-450-7876. You can speak to Reverend Williams. Uh, i got a tweet question for him. But before we go back to you, let me just remind you, coming up later this morning, we're going to speak with uh, Dr. Stephen Tate, Dr. Tate out of Atlanta. Uh, he's, he says he's going to explain why the CD DC is predicting an outbreak of what he termed fungal apocalypse. We'll find out what that is. Uh, and then the faith panel is going to join us. We're going to talk about religion. Then we're going to get an update on, uh, to save a black cemetery in Bethesda, Maryland. And tomorrow, uh, the Minister of Wellness and Nathaniel Jordan will join us, along with attorney Nkichi Taifa, give us an update on reparations. And chemitologist Tony Browder will also be here. So if you're in Baltimore, make sure your radio's locked in tight on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. All right, uh, uh, Reverend Williams, before we left for the news, traffic, and weather update, asking a question about structural you say the violence is, is structural can you explain that to the audience for us and then i got a tweet question for you. oh well uh all, mo- mostly all major institutions uh the 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 pattern the behavior uh the, the essence of violence is built into that just perfect example uh redlining uh something in the black community that we dealt with for years that's a form of violence uh, to deny one the right to housing, uh, that's a form of violence. I mean, and we can go on and on and on and on. So it's built into the structure, the systems, educational, politics, business, et cetera, is built into the system. And primarily the that that type of model, that type of uh, 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 behavior pattern uh, uh, was uh, primarily geared towards uh, black folks in this country. Now, yes, violence affects other people in other ways, but we have experienced the greatest violence that perhaps this world has ever known other than over in South Africa. So uh, it's a reality, and it's there, and it's it's defined, too. But, you know, the average person is not thinking like that because, you know, they're just trying to get by and survive. So I'm clear on what this is in the scientific community of all people, just like, I heard you talking about someone is coming on to talk about uh, uh, something as it relates to the CDC. When this, when the scientific community gives you insight to what's out there, uh, we should listen to what they're saying. Because nine times out of ten, they're on point. That's their job. That's the role of the CDC to inform the public, to inform us as citizens uh, the various things that harm us, that can harm us as it relates to viruses. And violence is a is a is, is, is a is a part of that virus, but it's tricky because it has so many tentacles, and that's what people don't understand that it has like twenty levels of domestic violence, four levels of global violence: violence to the land, violence to the to the waters, violence to the air. That's 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 a part of structural violence too. All right, 17 away from the top. As I mentioned, got a tweet for you. The tweeter says, please ask the pastor, isn't violence prevention based on status? If you live in a rich, if you are rich and live in a, a wealthy area, law enforcement is on speed dial. But if you live in the projects, ah, you got to wait a long, long time before they respond. Your thoughts, Reverend Williams? Well, you, well of course, we know uh, the response that, that, that the status quo has for disenfranchised people. But right now, in some of these perfect examples, Highland Park in Illinois, if you remember last year, that was a mass shoot. 
and and, and that's a community that's considered affluent, but now they they walk around pat, pat, and, and being paranoid because of a violent act that took place in their community. So it's everywhere. I mean, uh, uh, the disease of violence does not discriminate in the long run. It hits everybody. And until it's addressed correctly, then we're going to get what we're going to get. Yeah, especially out where you are in Chicago, you know, and it's south side, north side, the, the weekend shootings. And, and when we hear them, it's just for most folks that listen, I'm not sure maybe you can help us out on this. If they really, if they're really affected or is it just, uh, if, or is it just, they're just numbers. I'm just pulling up the numbers here in Chicago. Six people killed, 36 were wounded. This, just this past weekend, Labor Day weekend, 36 people got wounded, six, and six of those are fatalities. That's just Chicago alone. You know, I'm not talking about Memphis, Detroit, D.C., or L.A., or any other cities. How do we get this message that you're trying to get across to, to the folks who are committing these, 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 uh, these acts that, the, that they've got to stop, that it's not in their interest? How do we, how do, we do that? Because it seems like it's going on unabated. Because of your show, I'm able to talk to people uh, and, and on the East Coast and other parts of the country because they don't know the success. I don't want to know if you call it success, but the impact that we that we have as it relates to this issue. That what you have to get your government involved as a citizen. You have to talk about hearings. You have to get some state representative or some state senator to help to help uh, uh, push your calls. And that we were able to get the ear of a few of the state reps here that had the, that did the right thing in terms of us having hearings, in terms of us getting that bill passed, but now it's, it's dealing with the follow-up. So I say to anybody that's really serious about this issue is that you have to get your lawmakers involved. I tell you what, if anybody on the East Coast that's listening, call your state rep and request hearings on violence as a public health crisis. Now, if they duck you, then they don't, they're not concerned. But the average citizen can put in that request, and you have to follow through with that request. you got to put it in writing. Now, you just can't call them and say, we won't hear it. you got to put it in writing and give justification to why you want to have hearing. But you got to find someone that has the commitment to get the job done and give you the hearings. And believe me, if you have hearings in any of the cities, whether it's Baltimore, whether it's uh, 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 anywhere on that East Coast, you'll see the difference. Ha- call for hearings. That's what citizens can do. They can call for hearings. And believe me, that changes the whole dynamics of how we look at violence. Uh, let me ask you this. I, I, I hope you understand the way, the, the way I'm asking this question. But uh, are you doing this because violence actually came to your doorstep? Can can you expound on that? Uh, I I lost my son uh, uh, February twenty first, twenty eighteen. He he got killed on the same day as Malcolm X, and I found that so ironic. But prior to him getting killed, uh, I was already on the mission of trying to have hearings in the early two thousands, and elected officials were looking at me like I was speaking Greek because I had received a grant to study violence. And when I began to study violence and look at the statistics, I said, oh, we need to have hearings. And uh, fast forward, 
you know, when my son got killed, it just it just escalated. It just pushed me in the eye of the storm. So, you know, uh, not just because he got killed. You know, I was already working on the issue prior to my son getting killed, and he was working with me and understood it too. But since his death, you know, and, and we got the legislation passed, you know, we just try to continue to educate people locally and nationally also in terms of what this is. And because uh, it's the number one problem in the 21st century, violence, the disease of violence. Yeah, and sometimes it starts in the home and domestic violence, and, and the children are there watching it and, and seeing their parents uh, go at it. And then they take that and take it to the schools, and it seems like, as you mentioned, infectious. But uh, let me ask you this, though. Domestic violence, is, should that be where you should start the target, or is, or is you going to start it on, on the level of, of street violence? Well, I mean, you, on all levels. On all levels. On all, I mean, America is a, is a very violent nation. I mean, when you look at our programming, when you go to the movies, I mean, everything is built around violence. You know, everything's built around violence. Everything is built around violence. I mean, we love violence too much in this nation. And we've got to look at this and ask ourselves the question, uh, you know, this ain't healthy for us. You know, we, 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 we must take a position of civility, and we must be civil in dealing with ourselves and dealing with each other. And it's not complex. It's the institu- and that's where that's where the institutions come in. The institutions had to had to look at the type of violence that they have placed on the citizens. Right. Well, let me jump in here, ten away from the top there, because you mentioned that this. But this country was founded on violence. This is the vi- This is part of this country's DNA. This is what we export. This is what we talk about. So we show in movies and it, 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 you know, the Second Amendment and all of that. Are you going against the grain in, in figuring out that this this country was built on violence, as you mentioned? Uh, it, it, that's how it started. And 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 people are opposed. You're right. People love violence. Are you going against the grain? Is this is this too hard to to, to change to reverse? Well, I I I don't think it. If you know, if there, you know, if we only need three percent of the people in this country to step up to the plate, everybody ain't gonna step up to the plate. But three percent of our citizens acknowledge this reality, uh, you'll see a, a, a tremendous change. But once again, it's it's educating people like you're doing right now. Allow me to give insight. Allow me to tell citizens that in the state of Illinois, we got a bill passed that declares violence a public health crisis, and you can do it in your state too. But also push to the federal level where the president can chime in by executive order, or they can go ahead and have hearings. It's one of the two. But they know the reality. But, uh, you know, I mean, it's, uh, you know, you know you, when you have to deal with people's arrogance and egos and they positions you had to you had to be you had to be almost zen like and get past you had to be very civil minded and get past all of all of the uh, uh uh the roadblocks that are that are in your way and that's what we had to do we had to just keep pushing despite the negativity despite things that were saying we we stayed with the science of the fact that so the CDC is lying no they're not lying well well let's go ahead and do something about it because what we're doing, we're, ex- we're experiencing implosions right now. And all of our systems are imploding. And 
we don't, you know, those in leadership don't seem to have the moral courage to step up to the plate and do what's right, even with the president. He knows what this is. I mean, he gets information and data every day on what's happening. He knows exactly what this is. And if he addressed it, America would be a better place. If he addressed it correctly, you know, if the Black Congressional Caucus had the moral courage to address the issue of violence correctly, it would make a difference. Call this for what it is. It is a disease, it's a public health crisis, and there is a solution, many solutions, four-step process. Right. Hold that thought right there. Got to take a quick look at the traffic and weather in the news in Baltimore. Seven minutes away from the top there. I want to come back, though, because you can tell us, because you, you've already contacted the president. What can he do? It, it, you're talking about executive order and what, what the, he, that may uh, you know, highlight the situation. But realistically, what, what can he do to stop somebody shooting somebody in Detroit? I'll let you explain that when we get back. 800-450-7876. Speak to Reverend Williams. You got a question about violence because he's pushing to get violence declared a public health crisis. What are your thoughts? We'll be back in four minutes with Reverend Williams and your questions right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV or on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL where information is power. Good morning again, family. I guess this is Reverend Anthony Williams out of Chicago. He's, he's an activist preacher. One of these guys who just don't uh, sit behind the pulpit every Sunday. They get involved in issues, and one of the issues he's chosen is to, to get finance declared as a public health crisis. You may recall earlier this or was it last year he, he walked physically walked from Chicago to Washington D.C. to, to uh, publicize the, the quest to get finance declared a public health crisis. He's also sent letters to to the uh, the president. And uh, uh, Reverend Williams, what was the response? And what, what do you think the president can do? Uh, well, first of all, his response was was non and void. Uh, he said, thanks for praying for him. And I wrote him back saying, I, 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 I didn't write you to talk about no prayer, man. I wrote you to talk about this violence. But that man, the power of the pen, he can sign, he sign an executive order and call this for what it is. And you would see a tremendous difference in this country. My goal, uh, Brother Nelson, is to demonize violence, to demonize it, to demonize. It's like they demonize our community. Every time you look at the news and some active violence takes place, you see a report out there, stick a camp, stick, stick a, a mic in front of a black person's face. Uh, they go into the black community. And so we have been demonized. Uh, with this, with this, with this label of violence in our community, not so, not when this country was built the way it was built. So, I, I think the it's not a case of the chickens coming home to roost. It's a, it's a case of the vultures coming home to roost. And with the stroke of a pen, the president can sign an executive order on violence as a public health crisis and place a national plan of civility in place. It's just like with COVID. When it hit, they gave us instructions. Wash your hands. Wear your mask. to distance. Get shots. That's what they told us, to fight this. The same way you don't need shots for this. But what we had to do is educate people. And my goal is to demonize violence. 
it is going to destroy us, and it's just not what we do to the earth, what we do with each other. We must intelligently address it with the stroke of a pen. He can make the difference. It's the same way with the reparations issue. There's no debate about reparations. Stroke of a pen, sign it. So I think that uh, too many of our black lawmakers themselves are playing games. I, I don't think that the black caucus is serious enough. Uh, they're not serious enough in, in addressing this issue of violence and many other issues because they're playing politics. And for me, we're dealing with the lives of people. I mean, here's a, I mean, it, children getting shot, babies getting shot. We accept this as a way of life. We accept an abnormal behavior as a normal behavior. Anybody with good, sound, common sense has got to say to themselves, this is unacceptable. Is there a solution? There sure is. There's plenty of solutions. But it's, it's the, us as citizens engaging. If 3% of us get involved, we'll make a difference. All right. So what's the next move before we let you go, Reverend Williams? What's the next move? And how can folks who are listening now, how can we help you achieve that? Well, uh, if, uh, uh, what, what, how, you can, how they can best help me is by working in your own local communities, looking at what we've done looking at the template and doing that same thing. You know, each geographical area is different in terms of the politics. I mean, when you look at uh, states that are governed by violent uh, elected officials, Florida, Texas, those governors are violent towards the citizens. Uh, Those governors are so violent that they want to turn the clock back. Can't allow that to happen. We must use we must use the formula of civility to be able to cool this out that's how we can do it each person work in their own area and work i encourage citizens to uh request legislative hearings to have hearings on violence as a public health crisis believe me it'll make a difference once you make them do their job always remember you don't work for the elected officials the elected officials work for you and you must intelligently dictate to them what they must do in addressing any issue. All right. So how can folks reach you, Reverend Williams, if they want to help you out on this? Is there an email address? Well, they can give me a call. If they call me civilly, I'm going to talk to anybody. I like to talk to people. They can call me at every code 708 690 area code 708 uh, what else? Six, seven, I forgot my number. Seven zero eight six nine zero five three three nine. All right. Thank you, Reverend Williams, and thank you for speaking up on this issue because you, you you're out there in the wilderness by yourself. People see the violence that's taking place, and they just, just we just accept it. It's just part of life. It's part of living in America. <laughs> this ain't the way to live. Yeah, unfortunately, but that's uh, this is how this country was built. And I think, as I mentioned, it's in the DNA of, of many of the people here. So it, it's just it's just another day. <laughs> but uh, I'm glad that you are stepping up and, and trying to make a change, though. Well, well, thank you so much for allowing me to give insight. And I encourage people to look at the Illinois Health Reform Bill, uh, whatever state you live in, and look at that. Use that as a model to uh, 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 
to to help your community, but also realize that violence is a disease, not based on what I said, but based on what the scientific community is saying, and there's a way to deal with it. And we had to deal with this thing civilly. All right. Thank you, Reverend Williams. Thank you for joining us this morning. And thank you for the work that you do, because you really put in your heart and soul into this. And, and, and thank you. And uh, we'll support you any way we can, because we, we, too, are against violence. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Brother Nelson. God bless you now. Take care. All right. Eight minutes after the top. I'll say good morning to Sister Marsha, Sister Marsha or Dr. Marsha Adebayo. Good morning. Welcome back to the program. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. No, thank you, because you, you're leading this fight to, to uh, save this black cemetery in Bethesda, Maryland. And before we go into the, the, the fight, just give us a, because, you know, we always have new listeners every time you come around. So, Sister Marshall, just go into, bring us up to date. How did this all start? Well, it started um, as a cover-up. Um, it started as a cover-up. And, and if we can connect the two dots between your last speaker and us and ourselves, I mean, this is a part of white supremacy, isn't it? I mean, you know, the genocide in our community is not only being carried out by those in power, but, but through, their, through the system's ability to make black people hate themselves. Right. And as a result of that, we 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 conduct ourselves in ways that, um, you know, um, endanger our own existence, like, you know, like the violence in our community. Right. But where did all that start? I mean, that didn't start in Africa, you know, before white people brought us here uh, in terms of the self-hatred. I mean, this is a part of the DNA of white supremacy. And 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 so what we're fighting for is to uncover the truth about white supremacy. And a large part of that is understanding who we are. And in Bethesda, Maryland, in the mid 17th century or actually mid 16th century, uh, a lot of people don't know that there were major, large um, death camps what we call a death camp. I mean, we also have to start thinking about our language too, because for white people, these were plantations. Uh, these were these were places um, that, uh, that 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 were farms where where people grew things, they planted things there. But what were these what were these institutions to us as black people? This is where we went to die. They were death camps. And so, um, and so, in, in Bethesda, Maryland, there were four very large um, uh, death camps um, that were owned by some of the most prominent individuals at the time. And these death camps uh, were, were kidnapping sites for hundreds, perhaps thousands, of of African people who were kidnapped from Africa and brought to the United States. And 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 these people were worked on these death camps from the mid 1700s into 1865, primarily tobacco. Plant, uh, they they planted tobacco, and other and other and other um, plants, and 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 they died because that's what happens on death camps. You die, and when and when and when their souls and when their bodies um, could not survive the torture anymore. Their bodies were thrown into a place that we now call Moses African Cemetery on River Road. 
And we know that this place contains, from the mid-1700s to 1865, thousands of people, thousands of Africans perished on River Road in Bethesda, Maryland, as they did across the country. So Montgomery County has been involved for at least 70 years in the cover-up of this genocide that occurred on River Road um, in Bethesda. In fact, if you come to this area today, you're going to see a Whole Foods owned by Amazon, Bank of America, um, you know, American plant foods. You would never imagine that you are literally standing in a death camp and that underneath your feet are bones of your own ancestors. Um, they've covered it up for so long. And when we found out about this almost 10 years ago, it was, of course, quite by accident because they were the county, Montgomery County, was trying to build, um, uh, you know, another garage, uh, a, a, a self-storage unit on top of this, of this sacred space. And we found out about it quite by accident. I was invited. I, my husband had just become pastor of Macedonia Baptist Church. And a lot of people, when they're driving down River Road in this very affluent area, they see this little black church sitting on top of a hill. And they go, what is a black church doing in the middle of Bethesda? Not realizing that that is the scene of the crime. That is the scene of the crime. And that this little black church is bearing witness to genocide. And so we were, we, I was invited along with other church members to a meeting at the Montgomery County Parks and Planning Department. And we were being asked as community members to basically sign off on a sector plan that would allow the county to build another parking area and a self-storage unit and all these different buildings. And they never told us during the meeting that they were asking for permission. They were asking us for permission to build on top of our own ancestors. But there was a man sitting next to me who I didn't know very well at the time named Harvey Matthews, who had grown up in the black, what he calls black colony on River Road before they were displaced in the most violent and vicious and vile manner. And he was sitting next to me and he raised his hand when he said, when they said, there's, you know, there's a rumor that there's a cemetery there, but don't be alarmed and don't be, you know, concerned about this because there's no cemetery there. And, and so we just need for you guys to sign off on this so we can, you know, you know, get the wheels of progress moving. And Mr. Matthews raised his hand and he said, when you said that there's no cemetery there, you're not telling the truth. There's a cemetery where you're planning to build all these different institutions. And I know that because I used to play there as a child. Wow. Wow. Hold that thought right there, uh, Sister Marsha. we got to take a quick break here. I'll let you continue the story on the other side. 800-450-7876. You want to speak to Sister Marsha at a bail? Reach out to us. We're discussing this uh, black cemetery that's been defiled in Bethesda, Maryland. What are your thoughts? We'll take your calls in about four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also on the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL information is power.
And good morning again, family. Thanks for getting up with us this morning. 21 minutes after the top of the hour. Our guest is Dr. Marsha Adebayo. Uh, Sister Marsha is, in fact, part of a Bethesda African liberation group that's fighting to preserve this black cemetery that's in Bethesda. It's a wealthy part of the DMV. And as we speak, there are probably bulldozers going over there, desecrating the remains of our ancestors. And before we left for the news and actually the traffic and weather updates, Sister Marsha was giving us an update how this all started. So, Sister Marsha, I'm going to let you continue. Well, well, initially, after we, after Mr. I, what I was saying before the break was that Brother Harvey Matthews stood up at a meeting uh, where Montgomery County was uh, reciting its cover-up of this uh, burial ground and basically challenged them and said that, you know, he knew that they were lying because he used to play in the cemetery as a child. Um, at that point, the meeting stopped. Because they looked around the room and went like, oh, no, somebody here actually knows what happened. That's the power of history. That's the power of telling the truth. And as confronted with the truth, they had to stop. And they had to regroup. And initially, we thought that Montgomery County, like so many other counties in the country, um, was going to do the right thing. We really did. We, we You know, there were a number of quote-unquote, progressive liberals uh, in Montgomery County that we thought would do the right thing. But in fact, they have been some of the most ardent um, opponents of doing the right thing. Um, And so um, at that point, when we realized that that Montgomery County was committed to continuing to call Moses, um, you know, you know, an alleged cemetery, we realized that we had to organize. And so we started organizing. We organized, you know, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, churches, whoever would stop five minutes to tell them about the history of our people who lived on River Road. And, you know, we talk about fighting for the cemetery, and that's certainly we're engaged in that, but we are also fighting for land. We are fighting for land. The land that our ancestors, um, I should just say that after... Um, what we call, you know, this, this scourge or this European barbarism that they like to call slavery. We call it what it was. It was barbarism, just pure and simple barbarism. Um, uh, after this ended in 1865, Africans um, moved into this area, and to the extent that the county would let them buy certain areas, they started buying land in this area vast amount of land in this area and became very much like Tulsa in that in regard. They were buying land. They were farming the land. They were becoming wealthy. They were building institutions. Our children do not know this history, that in the face of white supremacy, in the face of one of the most aggressive, egregious, um, vile political systems, our our. Our, our, our foremother, our foremothers, our forefathers were building institutions. They were making a life for themselves, creating churches, schools, institutions um, to such an extent that, you know, Europeans who thought the land was unfarmable um, began to realize, oh, my God, these people are, 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 are making a go of this area and decided to take it away from them, to decide to steal their land on River Road. And now the land that was stolen from our community 
is some of the most expensive real estate in the world. In the, I didn't say in the United States. I said it's some of the most expensive real estate in the world. That is in many ways w- why this fight has been such a long fight, such a protracted fight. I think if the cemetery, if the Moses Cemetery had been located in another part of the country or even even in Maryland, but in a less affluent area, the county would not have fought this so hard. But because Moses Cemetery is located in some of the most expensive real estate in the world. The European- well, let me interrupt you and ask you this question, Sister Marsha. Is that the reason? Because it, it, it can, it, if they develop it, it, it obviously will contribute to the tax base. The, the, the city fathers right. can make money on it or the county can make money. But there's a cemetery. They're not going to make any money. Is, is, is that the reason you think that's behind this? I, I think there are a number of reasons. I think one is because of how valuable the real estate is. Let me just give you a, a quick example. There's a part of the cemetery that, you know, they, they parceled up the land. Once they stole it from our community, they parceled it up among themselves, among, among white um, business people. There's one parcel, and we, we, we really hate using these words, parcels. But anyway, but there's this one parcel, which is parcel, I think, 175, which is, um, which is the cemetery is actually located under a parking lot where cars are being parked on top of our ancestors as we speak. And and about 10 years ago, this land was sold for $10 million. Today, in today's dollars, in terms of what an investment corporation is prepared to pay for it right now, that land is worth $60 million. In 10 years, in 10 years. So you can imagine in another 10 years what that land will be worth. So, so this is very expensive real estate that we're talking about. So that's one issue is, is, is the fact that the, the land is so expensive. Another part of it is just the issue of white supremacy, quite frankly, and that is that land represents political and economic power. And can you imagine Africans owning, you know, land that would, you know, accumulatively be worth you know, close to a billion dollars in Bethesda, Maryland. I think for most white people, they would just think that that is unimaginable for black people to have that kind of economic and political power. I mean, it would mean that we wouldn't have to beg, at least in this area, for voting rights. I mean, the things that we, you know, that that we take for granted, that we're going to have to continue to vote for voting rights, continue to vote for good schools for our children. If you have that kind of economic power, you have a fist. And and one of the things that Reverend Barber said when he came and participated in a press conference, he said, this is this is a struggle for land and land is equivalent to power. We're fighting for political power as well as to preserve and protect the the burial ground of our ancestors. I got to ask you about the response before, before I ask you about the response, though, because I got a tweet. Let me see if I can find this tweet. Uh, one of our listeners in New York was listening to us. We were talking about it earlier, promoting the fact that you're co- coming on. And the listener tweeted and says, these folks have no respect for our culture from Florida to New York. They have been violating our burial grounds and our communities. For example, here in New York in Central Park was a thriving black community before developers decided it wasn't. And and 
it's all about something. I, I guess what you were saying. The, the, they found out it was valuable, and, and that's when they took advantage of of our, of our people mm-hmm. back in the days. So I just want to mm-hmm. respond to that that tweet we got from our listener in New York. We're talking about intergenerational wealth. Our people put their blood in the soil. They fought for that land. They bled into that land. They 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 um they committed their bodies in death in that land. And Europeans who have never seen us as human beings decided that they were going to steal the land from people who still had scars on the on, on, on the back of their of the back of their hands. They decided to steal it from us. But not only did they steal the land, they they tried to steal who we are. They tried to steal our identity as human beings. As human beings, which is the reason why your last speaker is so important. Because one of the reasons why we have this kind of incredible violence in our communities because we don't even see ourselves as human anymore. These people have been successful in stripping away our own humanity, even from ourselves. So instead of seeing each other as a valuable and beautiful part of the tapestry of life, you know, we shoot ourselves over sweet and sour sauce. So so we we need to get back to basics in terms of who we are. And, and the struggle for land, the struggle for an African burial ground, the struggle when we understood our humanity is important because it centers us in terms of who we truly are. And, and one of the reasons why I think this movement is so threatening is because it is a foundational struggle. It's not a symptomatic struggle when you see kids killing themselves over Shoes and coats and hats and that sort of that. Those are symptoms. Those are symptoms of a disease. That's not the disease. Those. That's the symptom of the disease. What we're dealing with is the foundation of white supremacy at these burial grounds, and it's the reason why so many counties are putting up, like Montgomery County, putting up such fierce battles because they know that we've dug down to the foundation now, and that we are determined that we're going to tell the truth and that our children are going to understand the truth about who they truly are. You know, for example, in BACC, we don't call ourselves slaves. That's not an African word. Where, where did that word come from? That did not come out of the vocabulary of African languages. That came out of Europe. And yet we've adopted those kinds of concepts into our soul. We call our ancestors warriors because that's who they were. Even the way we braided our hair was in the it was in the design of a map to freedom. So we need to talk to our children, I think, and we and the adults and, and the parents. Because one of the one of the I think the basis of joining, for example, the BACC movement is that we really force people into a, a study of their history. And it starts at River Road, but we but it expands throughout not only the United States, but the Americas and Africa. And so one of the projects that we're working on right now, as you know, is that a part of the cover-up is that when they decided to start digging in a parcel of land uh, on River Road, um, about three years ago, um, they started finding a large number of remains of our ancestors. And Mark Elrich, who is the county executive of Montgomery County, um, 
would, you know, literally would go around, travel around the county and tell people when they asked him about the Moses Cemetery, oh, this is not a cemetery. In fact, he said that very recently in an article that was written about Juneteenth, that this is not a cemetery, that these people are delusional, um, that, you know, this is, you know, they're trying to prevent the developer from, you know, from uh, putting up some kind of uh, unit on top of this soil. And he knew it. Oh, hold, hold that thought right there, because we're going to take a short break, uh, Sister Marsha. But, but, you know, when you come back, uh, have you guys investigated if, he, if he's on the take from, from the, you know, is he getting paid from these developers or anybody else on the Montgomery County Commission? Are they getting paid? And also got a tweet question for a tweeter wants to know if you've contacted Governor Moore yet. And is there anything that he can do? I'll let you answer those questions when we get back. 26 minutes away from the top of the hour. We're going to check in with the news, traffic and weather in our different cities. We'll be back in four minutes, though, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also on the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, for information is power. And good morning again, family. 20 minutes away from the top there with our guest, Dr. Marsha Adebayo. Dr. Marsha is in charge of a group or leading a group uh, trying to save this black cemetery in Bethesda, Maryland. It's just outside of uh, Washington, D.C., suburb of D.C. It's a wealthy enclave, if you will. And the, the remains of our, our, our ancestors are buried there. And the, the, the county, Montgomery County, is, is trying to, you know, redevelop the area. And this is what the, we've been fighting for quite some time. Before we go back further, let me just remind you, coming up later this morning, uh, Dr. Tate is coming with us, Dr. Stephen Tate out of Atlanta. He's a naturopathic doctor. And he's going to talk about the fact that the CDC says it's going to be a fungal apocalypse outbreak this fall. So he's going to tell us all about that. Before we get to those, uh, we're going to talk religion with uh, the faith brothers. And tomorrow, uh, coming up, the minister of Wellness will be here, Nathaniel Jordan, along with attorney Nkichi Taifa, give us an update on reparations, and chemotologist Tony Browder will also join us. So if you're in Baltimore, make sure your radio's locked in tight on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, you're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. All right, Sister Marshall, let's go back now, because you mentioned that Mark Eldridge is on the Montgomery County Commission. And my question to you is, is he or any of the members on, on the county commission, on the payroll of these developers, have you guys investigated that yet? No, we haven't. I, you know, it's obviously very hard to do a forensic financial um, analysis without a, a court assisting um, the time that I think would be meaningful, quite frankly. But, it's, but certainly that's, that's one of the demands that we have. We'd like to see a forensic financial accounting of not only uh, uh, the county executive, but a lot of the of the uh, political officials who have such um, deep relationships um, with 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 the developers in the in the area. I mean, you're absolutely right to raise this issue. I mean, there's no smoke without fire, and and you know you have to you have to wonder why are these politicians so committed to the desecration of, of this cemetery? Is it simply because um, they want to continue uh, the oppression and the denigration and the uh, disrespect to black people? Uh, or is it because, in fact, there's a personal reason? So I, I, I think the issue that you're raising is a very important one. And, and we need to have a forensic accounting of, of their bank accounts at this point. But, but right. you know, we need criminal charges, I must tell you. So, so one of the reasons why it was sort of we were providing the, 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 uh, the foundation to this discussion 
is because, for example, Mark Elridge, when, when they started excavating the area that you were discussing a few minutes ago, it's a cemetery. So, of course, bones started appearing, our remains. And if, if you know, if I could just let your listeners know that this cemetery is a very special place on so many levels, and we don't have time to go into all of it now, but one of the remarkable parts of points about the cemetery is that after they closed down what they call the, you know, the transatlantic uh, slave trade, have no idea what the, what the ocean has to do with, with human trafficking, but anyway, uh, why they would put that in the name of it. But once they, once they tr- closed down this, this, human trafficking trade um, between um, Africa and and the United States, they then had to reproduce um, uh, future workers in the Deep South who would, you know, uh, who would carry out um, basically building the foundation of a of a white supremacist capitalist society in in the United States, River Road, Washington D.C., Virginia was a part of the corridor in which they started quote unquote breeding uh, young African girls to produce the future generation of Africans in this country. So River Road was one of the major sites of this kind of sexual violence against little African girls. And we've been able now to do research that has shown that, that in fact, just like they were doing in many parts of the country, they were actually renting out, renting out little African girls as early as five years old um, for various activities in the homes of these white men. Um, Obviously their bodies could not um, sustain that kind of punishment and they died. In fact, we know that 60% of the little black girls who were forced into these pregnancies died. They bled out um, in childbirth. So these romantic notions that Hollywood has created of these sexual liaisons between African women and these white men, these were death sentences for black women. And when they died, their, their bodies were dumped in Moses Cemetery. It's one of the reasons why, I said there are a lot of reasons why they're trying to cover this up. But one of the reasons why I think they're trying to cover this up is because Moses is also what we consider a children's cemetery. It's full of the bones of children. And I think that that is not the image that Montgomery County wants to project of its very prosperous Bethesda, Maryland. Uh, In fact, the cemetery is located right next to a McDonald's where children go to have their hamburgers and french fries. Um, yeah. and so- Wait, let me inter- interject something right here, Sister Marsha, because, you know, Dr. Patricia Newton, before she left, she was working on, on doing research about, especially on the eastern shore, where there was inbreeding. It's just part of the problem yeah. with, with folks in that area of Maryland because of all the inbreeding. Mm-hmm. They, they treated us like cattle. Uh, and, right. and, and that's why some of them, we have so many emotional issues now for people who were born and raised and trace their ancestors back to those days, especially on the Eastern shore. But she left us before she completed her investigation, but I'll let you finish your thought. Well, there's some really interesting research just being actually done in China about why um, certain protocols, for example, with breast cancer, when I was working at the EPA, we had just started looking at why um, African-American women, for example, have a higher um, prevalence of breast cancer than European women, 
uh, or white women, I, I prefer just to say European women, um, and why the protocols do not seem as, um, you know, are not as if, uh, effective with black women. And, and, and some of that, you know, particularly in, in terms of some of the Chinese research that we, we were looking at, pointed to um, this legacy of what you're calling inbreeding, um, but just also the trauma that black women sustained and how it impacted the, D, the very DNA, our, very, our DNA. So I, I'd, I'd love to sort of look at her research as well. I mean, people really, you know, in many ways, there's this denial of this history, which is really to our detriment because it still has a lasting impact in terms of our physical health today, as well as obviously our mental health with the number of shootings in our community. Um, And at some point, you know, we've got to sort of, you know, begin to refocus all this negative energy into a, a fight for, for, for liberation and reparations. And by the way, BACC will be holding a reparations town hall meeting. And, um, and we're hoping and we're, we're working on a lot of different projects, but we would love to have your listeners go to our website at um, Bethesda African Cemetery Coalition.net and you'll see a schedule of events. And we'd love for everyone to get involved in this absolutely noble and, and crucial struggle that's going on in the community. All right. Yeah, and we'll let you give out that information before, before you leave. But the, earlier we had a tweet question, wanted to know if you've involved the governor yet. Has, have, have, has this petition reached his desk? And if so, is there anything that he can do? Yeah, there's a lot that he can do. He could, he could actually, you know, force a stay on the, ex, uh, the excavation of this area if he wanted to. We've contacted his chief of staff at least 10, 20 times, I bet, and have not received a single response to our our, um, our emails, our letters. Um, so, um, you know, the next time the governor is in this area, we will be at his, we'll, we'll be in the street um, with our signs and our pickets and our banners uh, petitioning him because we have tried to reach out to him through email and through letters, and we're not receiving a response. So if there's anyone in your listening audience who has a contact, I mean, we're, we're, contact, we're, we're trying to contact him through his chief of staff who is not being responsive at all. Um, so if there's someone out there who can help us, we would, we would deeply appreciate that. All right. He's going to be around the state, folks. You see him, ask him about the Moses Cemetery in Bethesda, Maryland. Please ask him. Uh, you know, you mentioned earlier about the, the collusion between money, these developers and these politicians. And we just hope it doesn't go that far. But, you, but you're right. With a stroke of a pen, he, he can stop it. But legally, what's happening on the legal front? Can, can that be done legally as well? Oh, absolutely. I mean, as you know, we're, we're struggling in the courts. Uh, we've won two injunctions against them selling a portion of the cemetery. And then we recently, you know, had a setback with, um, with the appeals court overturning uh, Judge Carla Smith's absolutely brilliant um, decision in terms of Moses and three, you know, three, you know, European uh, white, you know, jurists who overturned uh, the decision of of, uh, Judge Carla Smith. Um, Nevertheless, we continue to fight on because it's just a setback for us. This is, as Harriet Tubman said, this is a war, so we expect setbacks. And so now we have filed um, at the court, at the Supreme Court, Maryland Supreme Court, 
to overturn the appeals court. Um, and we're waiting to hear back from our cert. Um, the, the Maryland Supreme Court will only hear about 15% of the cases that um, that uh, that uh, apply to it. And so we're, we're hoping, we're praying that the Supreme Court of Maryland will hear this uh, this case. I mean, this is really, in many ways, another Dred Scott case. Um, and that is, you know, are we human? Are we human? Because what the what the Court of Appeals said is that when you have a, a you know when you have a when you have to decide between the interests of capital of the developers and the interests of the community, then the, the the finger of the law should be always on the side of the developers, of the capitalists, of the private owners of land. And that goes back to whether or not black people are chattel. You know, whether or not we're human or whether or not, you know, and just, you know, uh, you know, uh, beings to be engaged for commerce or whether or not we are truly as human as other people. And this, and this appeals court said, no, 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 no. If you have to make a decision, if there's, you know, if we have to decide between the interests of capital and business and private property and the interests of, of the community, then clearly the court always has to, has to side with private property. That's a devastating ruling, and we're hoping that the Maryland Supreme Court will overturn that ruling. All right. We're going to hold that right there. We're going to step aside and take a quick look at the traffic and weather in the news in Baltimore. But it's someone just tweeting me that the, the mayor is going to be at the Maryland reception for the Maryland Black Caucus Foundation. You know, the Black Caucus uh, it starts on the 20th. It's going to be on Friday, the 22nd. And the mayor is going to be there along with uh, the top elected officials from the state of Maryland. So, folks, uh, you know, the if you're going, ask him the question. Don't give him a pass just because he's a brother. There's no HBO here when it comes to helping our people. Don't give him a pass. Ask him about this black cemetery and what what he intends to do about it. He'll probably tell you he doesn't know. How can we get the information to you? So let's get it and get it on his desk. And don't be don't be and don't be don't be scared when it comes to dealing with this issue when you're fighting for our people. Even if you have to fight other people who look like us, I'm just saying that, folks. We got to get we we got to get straight up on this and get the governor involved. Anyway, as I mentioned, we've got to step aside and get caught up in the latest traffic and weather in our different cities. It's uh, six away from the top. I'll be back in four minutes in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. In the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. Hey, good morning again, family. A minute after the top of the hour, momentarily we're speaking with the Faith Brothers, but let's travel with Dr. Marsha Hadabeo trying to save this black cemetery in Bethesda, Maryland. Sister Fahima is joining us. She's on line one, calling from Washington, D.C. Good morning, Sister Fahima. You're on with Dr. Marsha. Thank you for taking my call, uh, Mr. Nelson. Good morning, Dr. Coleman Adebayo. This is Fahima. Uh, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? Good. I don't know if you are aware that Verna, who executive produces the show that you and I each host a week of, on the Pacifica station, actually went to school with the governor's mother. They both went to AU. And she interviewed him. She interviewed her when he was elected. So I don't know if you were aware of that. No, I wasn't. And I will be on the phone with Verna Avery Brown as soon as I finish this interview. But um, So thank you very much for bringing that to my attention. Thank you, know, you very much. 
that's why I continue to raise the issue about the governor, because I didn't know if you were aware of that. And that is a direct uh, connection right there. I hope that uh, that uh, something comes out of that. Well, thank you. Obviously, we would prefer to talk to him as opposed to protesting outside the meeting on the 22nd. So, exactly. um, but, but yeah, no, we, we would, we'll definitely jump on that and, and, and seek a meeting with the mother as well as with the governor, and which is, We've we've been trying to reach out to him since he was elected because he's made some grand statements about um, his commitment uh, to uh, instilling the importance of black history in our children. Uh, but we haven't seen it in Bethesda in terms of the cemetery struggle. And cemeteries are black history. And so we we you know we will definitely reach out to him. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Sister Fahima. I was going to say that too, folks. If you approach the governor, do it in, in a respectful way, and, and you know, if he's especially in the crowd, don't don't try to embarrass him or anything like that. But do it respectfully. I think she'd do that anytime you're asking a question or anybody. Anyway, we don't want to put him on mm-hmm. the defensive. But uh, Sister Marsha, before we let you go, uh, how can folks reach you if they want to help you save this black cemetery in Bethesda? How can uh, people listening around the country? How can they help? Well, I. They can they can contact us through our our website. It really is the best way to contact us, which is Bethesda African Cemetery Coalition dot net. Bethesda African Cemetery Coalition dot net. And if you don't mind me just taking one minute, Brother Carl, I just needed to make one announcement, and that is that as as we've been talking about today, a number of of you know that this is a cemetery. Therefore, when they started excavating, they did find bones, despite. What the county executive said, they found hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of bones in the cemetery. And under the cover of night, they stole those bones out of the cemetery. First, they took them, we now know, to Towson University. We know this because we have four-year requests that were answered. And they tried to determine, you know, the disposition, the, what, you know, whether they were human or animal um, at Towson University, and now we're having trouble because the officials at Towson will no longer um, respond to us because obviously they're involved in this process. And then when they didn't get the answers that they needed at Towson, then they crossed state lines into Virginia, and now our ancestors are being held in a warehouse, in a warehouse, and they've been holding wow. our ancestors in this warehouse. For three years, we just found out, in a warehouse. These are the bones, the remains of little African children who suffered so much in life, and they're holding them. And we've written to County Executive Mark Elridge, to Jamie Raskin. We're asking for an FBI investigation now. The FBI must step into this, and they must you know, conduct an investigation um, because obviously these are criminal charges that must be brought against everyone who's involved in this human trafficking. Um, and so, and we're also asking for Congressman Jamie Raskin. This is happening in Congressman Jamie Raskin's district. So we're asking for, for Congressman Jamie Raskin to hold congressional hearings, to, hold, to, to, to use his office the way he's used it for January 6th, uh, to investigate uh, these crimes. These are crimes. These are, these are felonies that are being committed in Bethesda. Uh, we've reached out to him four or five times. He's not writing back to us again. So we need for everyone to contact uh, Congressman Jamie Raskin at Jamie, J-A-M-I-E, 
dot raskin r a s k i n at mail dot house dot g o v and demand that the demand that the remains of our ancestors are returned to the community to b a c c so that we can ensure a proper investigation by Dr. Michael Blakey at the College of William and Mary. Uh, they've actually cleared space at the university now to receive the remains of our ancestors, these children. Um, so we're demanding that that investigation takes place, and then BACC will ensure proper burial and respectful internment of our, of our ancestors. But we need for everyone to contact Congressman Jamie Raskin and demand that the remains of our ancestors are returned from a warehouse in Virginia back to the community so that we can investigate what happened to these children. All right. Thank you, Sister Marshes. Thank you for staying on the case as well. And folks, hopefully we'll get we'll resolve this, but we got to stick together with this one. Thank you. And thank you for the work that you do, too, in, in doing this. No, no, thank you. I mean, I must tell you, I, I feel so hopeful because of you, Brother Carl. Every time we reach out to you, you reach back to us. We are so grateful to you for your commitment and for your stand uh, in the black community. So thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Seven minutes after the top of the hour now, let's say good morning to uh, the Faith Brothers. Dr. Edmonds, good morning. Good morning. Dr. Ed- yes, and Pastor Manning, good morning. Good, yeah, we good can morning. hear you. So good to be with you all today. And, and I know you, you got, both of you can uh, commiserate on what with the discussion, the previous discussion about uh, the black cemeteries and, you know, the cover-ups that's taking place in, in Maryland there with our ancestors. Many, many of them, little children, be buried there. But that's not what we, we got you here for this morning, though. We, we want to talk to you about the infighting in religion. You know, people think that because you guys are pastors, uh, you religious folks, there's no infighting. They think everything is, is, is perfect. So uh, let me start with Pastor Manning first. Uh, uh, Pastor Manning, why did some pastors speak against out against other pastors? Why did some people in the cloth, you know, not just into not just different religions, not just you know Baptists speaking about Methodists or or, or speaking about the Seven Eleven, the Seven Eleven, Seven Day Adventists, but the, the same denomination. You got folks going at each other. Why? Why is that happening? Wow, that's a great question, and um, I, I'm really kind of thankful, Brother Carl, that, that we're having this discussion today because um, it's long overdue in many circles. Um, I, th- I've got a lot to say about this, but I'm, I'm going try to try to keep my comments um, directed towards, towards the question. First of all, I am a pastor. I've been in, um, I'm going on my 33rd year of full-time pastoral ministry. I came out of university um, right into ministry and continue to this day, 22 years here in the city of Pasadena. Um, so when I speak about pastors, I'm speaking about myself. I'm, I'm in that number rather. And what I've learned and what I've seen over my 30 something years of ministry is that we, I'll say we, because I'm a pastor, can be very insecure and 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 can be prone to comparing ourselves to one another. Now now this this easily it, it can easily happen for the car when we're not, I believe, fully aware of who we are. I've been I've been saying this and preaching it a lot lately that 
that I believe that, that it all comes down to identity and inheritance. They're very important when it comes to our confidence, when it comes to how we how we serve, how we see ourselves. So one of the main things is if we don't see ourselves as servants um, to others, then we po- we position ourselves and we position ourselves and we allow ourselves to be positioned by others um, into these spaces where comparison and and insecurity um, thrive. Um, and the church is one of those places where pastors um, many times get caught up in these things. The 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 the, the simplest answer in my mind is uh, first of all I. If I don't anything I'm standing on today, I want everybody to hear a pastor say um, that pastors are people. We're just people. Um, there's some expectations, there's some qualifications for us, but at the end of the day, we are mere men and, and, and mere women. And when people um, position us any other way or try to deify pastors and all of that kind of stuff. It, it sets us up and it begins this whole thing that, that infiltrates minds. And then it's like we're, we're going against each other. So when pastors speak against each other and, and kind of posture that way, the first thing I do is, is, number one, close my mouth and step back because it's just not, it's not acceptable. Now, of course, there's times when I've had to open my mouth and say, well, instead of talking about this brother, why don't you go to him or, or let's call him. That, that usually silences the, the, the back talk. Um, but at the end of the day, we're just, we're just human. And if we don't understand who we are and, and the one who has called us and the assignment we've been given, we'll jump into these other spaces of comparison um, and we'll, and we miss out on what our true calling is about. So to me, that's kind of the foundation of it. There's some other dynamics to it, but I'll just leave that right there. All right. Let me let me go to Dr. J. Edmonds then and ask him, because, you know, Dr. Edmonds, a lot of people co- compare the, the church or the mosque as, as a business. They say it's a business. You guys are business people. And that's why th- these th- you have these differences it's like McDonald's and Burger King. You guys are arguing which one's better, which and and, and having co- comparisons should as a pastor, should you have these discussions in front of the congregation or should this be done, uh, you know, uh, quietly? Well, obviously, those particular things are not rooted in that which would reflect the character and the nature of God. So it is clearly not of God. Discussions like that are to be held between uh, the parties. Yeah. Separately, uh, it should be something that not um, uh, could be looked upon as a catalyst to bring reproach upon the church. And oftentimes it does because uh, there are those who have very difficult time uh, in distinguishing that which is um, uh, suitable. Uh, that which is right, uh, that which would not cause adversarial tensions. And the humanistic side of them uh, actually dominates uh, uh, their thought process. But, um, uh, you you know, uh, God's word has an answer for everything, and he lays it out because this is something that was 
happening within the first century church uh, in James. Yeah, you know, on, hold, hold that thought right there, uh, uh, Dr. Evans. I'll let you explain that when we got back. We've got to take a quick break, though. But I, I want you to, because, you know, f- folks who, who, you know, deride Christianity and all kinds of religion, they say it's, it's a business. And this is part of the business for you trying to get more people to come into your church building as opposed to another person's uh, a religious building. And that's what, what you do. You're selling people. You're selling something to our people. So if you, if, if you, uh, and, and if you have disagreements, that shouldn't be part of it because all they see it as all another it's, a, it's, it's a, like a commercial it's, it's a business move so if you can address those comments i'd appreciate it folks it's 14 minutes after the top of the hour to take a quick look at the traffic and weather for our communities this morning we're back with the faith brothers in four minutes right here in baltimore on 1010 wolb also in the dmv on fm 95.9 and am 1450 wol where information is power And good morning again, family. Thanks for rolling with us all morning. Long. It's been an interesting morning so far. 21 minutes after the top of the hour with the Faith Brothers and Dr. J. Edmonds and Pastor Curran Manning. Before we left, we were discussing the fact that the infighting in the pulpit, in, in the congregation, uh, a church is going to go against each other. And uh, I was asking Dr. Edmonds if he could explain to us, because, you know, some people say, look at the church and say it's a business. And it's, it's normal for uh, a pastor to attack whether he do it subtly or straight up in the face and says that the, what, what he's teaching is better than the, what the other church is teaching. So, Dr. Evans, I'm going to let you finish your, your response. Sure. There is no justification for any pastor to attack another pastor or any person, for that matter, who is representing a specific congregation to attack another. There is no justification for that. That is not of God. That is the spirit of the devil. That's the spirit of the enemy. So these particular things have occurred because there has been an allowance for that. People allow these things to occur. And then plus the fact those who are in leadership position, many of those who actually espouse that position, uh, actually, I don't believe that they were ever called into ministry, that their purpose or their intention or their reason was simply to make money or for some other alternative or or ulterior motive. And I think that these things uh, resonate uh, with those who are looking uh, for some sort of criticism uh, to be heaped upon uh, ministry itself and, and Christendom at, at, at large. And those who are causing this type of division, uh, they're bringing reproach upon the church. But I want people to know who's listening. This is not commonplace. Uh, this is a, an aberration. You do have some of that nature that create these adversarial tensions uh, and their motives uh, are, are selfish, um, uh, and it creates this envy and these evil works that are prevalent. All right. Well, I thought right there, 23 after the top there. Um, Brother Kwame, we'll get to you in a moment. But this begs a question. I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Manning this. We, we talk about the differences. Uh, the white evangelical Christians, so far, you know, we know they're supporting Donald Trump, so we get that. But they, they, as Christians, are supposed to be made on the cloth like you guys are. 
they very seldom, if ever, speak out about what the, the, the atrocities that have taken place to us as a people or, or what we're still going through living in this country. Why the silence? Does that affect their credibility, uh, Pastor Manning? Yeah, um, a, a part of that question can only be answered by the ones that are perpetrating that type of that type of um, activity, or you know, the ones that are are not adhering closely to the scriptures. Um, but the other side that I can answer to is um, we've been given a mandate, and especially since the conversation is about pastors, um, there is a high standard for pastors. And one of the things that we are called to do is the scripture says to preach the word in, in season and out of season. That means we can't take a break. I'm, I'm actually taking a break today, celebrating my 31st wedding anniversary with my beautiful bride. Um, but when it comes to the gospel and, 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 and speaking the truth, we can't take a break. And then secondly, we're not allowed to, to, um, to just speak from just off of the cuff, you know, our opinion, what we think or what we've been programmed to believe. We've got to stick closely to the word. And, and for me, again, as Dr. Edmonds so eloquently and, and, and efficiently said, you know, that's just a small section of, of pastors who are rogue, just like in any other profession in any other, any, any other discipline. However, um, I believe the scripture tells us one of the passages that I use is Proverbs chapter 31, verses eight and nine. It says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves and, and ensure that they get justice. So justice in these matters of justice and right and righteousness and things that are right, um, that comes from God. So we have to, you know, I don't care what the, what the popular opinion says and what the direction that the crowd is going in, um, I'm going God's way, and pastors and leaders have to do the same. So now we see, as you said, a whole movement. Um, it's not just white evangelicals. I mean, that, that's the majority of the group. There's some other brothers and sisters in there, too, who have drank the Kool-Aid and, and are subscribing to these things that are not biblical, they're not spiritual, and they're not redeeming or redemptive. All right. And I promise you, I get you. But but I got to ask Dr. Edmonds this, because, you know, we had some clergy that was involved in trying to overthrow the government. Uh, they, they they thought we're they're trying to save the steel or whatever they, the, the phrase that they were using on January the 6th. Does that does that that image of being members of the because we look, you know, for those of us who are on the outside, we see all you guys are the same. Does, does that hurt your, your reputation as well, even though you weren't personally involved, but a person of the cloth was involved trying to overturn the government? Does that, does that hurt all the credibility of all the pastors? McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Dr. Edmonds. Yes, it, it can it it casts a wide net 
and it gives people uh, who are looking on the outside in uh, this uh, certain uh, uh, persona, uh, which is a blanket for the entire church. But the reality of this is, look, man, there is and has always been and probably will always be a plantation mentality in all things, not just in the society within itself, um, uh, but also within the church. Uh, when you think about it, there are those who are right-wing fundamentalists, white ident- Christian identity, uh, who actually, in their thought process, does not believe <clears throat> that African Americans are even equal with them. Now, now, how can one embrace uh, the teachings and the principles of a true and a living God and not come to the conclusion that uh, because we are spiritual in nature, that wall of separation has been broken down? It is simply because they have not applied it to themselves, and there is a great deal of hypocrisy. Um, And those who are engaged in this type of activity and endorse this type of activity, who are African-Americans, they have this mentality that whatever is spoken of concerning any situation, particularly political situation, by those who are white, it must be right. There has to be evaluation, investigation. One has to do that from the standpoint of biblical scripture if they call themselves a Christian. Biblical scripture is that standard by which all other truth claims must be tested. But in lieu of comparing the actions with the words, with the word of God, they don't do that. They appeal themselves to logic. They appeal themselves to political persuasion and tenets in lieu of that. And also, as I said, there is still a plantation mentality where some of our people look up to the white persons, whether it is in uh, Christianity, whether it's in business, as being the actual model to aspire to. Uh, Years ago, people used to say, Oh, you're trying to act white. What does that mean? That means that they they have actually placed uh, the the white uh, race as being something to aspire to, to act like, to be like. It's not like that in society, nor should it be like that in the church itself. And I think it's downright uh, uh, hypocritical. If the things that are being embraced from a political standpoint, uh, one should be able to see very clearly that those things are actually centered toward a party, a, 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 a people who have used the, uh, Christianity as a foundational springboard to actually cloak themselves in to say and direct policy that in many cases are contrary 
to the actual uh, uh, progression of black people. Now, when you have a people right. that say you're not equal with them, you're going to have all of these things. And this is not a racist type uh, uh, statement that I'm making. It is a reality statement. We know, and I'll leave it with this, that the real truth of history has been unevenly shaped by the obfuscation and the actual erasure of the actual facts. That's what they're doing now. They're doing that in our history. And so that has creeped over into the church to actually give this persona of authenticity. All right. 29 away from the top there. Let's go to North Carolina. Brother Kwame's waiting for us. He's on line one. Brother Kwame, good morning. You're on with the Faith Brothers. Good morning, brothers. I have one question. And Carl can help you guys with this question if I don't get it right. I think Dr. Williams put out a challenge out there for any minister, any reverends, any rabbis, or anybody to come to him and prove that Jesus, Muhammad, or anybody walked the face of this earth. Why haven't one of you guys took that challenge up? Let me answer, let me answer that question, because uh, it is becoming mundane to, uh, although the question may be legitimate within itself, uh, uh, to prove uh, that Jesus existed, to prove that Muhammad existed. Uh, I mean, there are historical annals that 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 proves that that there are writings relative to that within the first century. Uh, there are writings within the Roman annals that prove that there were. Uh, Christians who were thrown in the Colosseum and devoured by wild beasts and lions simply because they were Christians. There are annals that are written uh, in Latin uh, that actually attest to that when it comes down to Christ. You had basically the, uh, uh, the, the, the office of certain Caesars that actually have those particular annals at this point in time. You had Augustus Caesar from 27 B.C. to 14 A.D. that that was in power when Christ was born. And then you had Tiberius Caesar from 14 A.D. to 37 A.D. when Christ was crucified. Then you had Caligula. And hold that thought right there, Dr. Emmons, we can take a quick break. I'll let you finish your, your response, though, to the question, Kwame's question. And, and I think what Kwame's trying to say is that Dr. Williams says, if Jesus the Christ or Mark, Matthew, John, or any of the characters in the Bible had relatives or were actually on this face of this earth, they'd have relatives that are still here. They great, 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 great children will be here and they, they, they could chase their lineage. And I think that's the, the question that uh, uh, Brother Kwame is asking in North Carolina. I'll let you finish your response though after we take a check of the news, traffic and weather in our different cities. Folks, you want to join this conversation with the Faith Brothers? Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL or information is power.
Good morning again, family. 19 away from the top of the hour with the Faith Brothers. We'll be back to them in a moment. Let me just remind you, coming up later this morning, we speak with uh, naturopathic doctor, St- Dr. Stephen Tate out of Atlanta. And tomorrow, the Minister of Wellness will be here, and Nathaniel Jordan, also attorney, and Kichi Taifa, and chemotologist Tony Browder will also join us. So if you're in Baltimore, make sure your radio's locked in tight on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. All right, before we left for the news, traffic, and weather update, uh, Brother Kwame called from North Carolina, and he wanted uh, the Faith Brothers and Dr. Edmonds was responding to the fact that if they could prove uh, the, the Dr. W- uh, Walter Williams threw out the challenge, if anybody could prove that the Jesus the Christ or Buddha or Muhammad or any of those relatives, if any of those folks actually walked the face of the earth, if so, and he says you got to use the discipline of, of, of history, not facts, not feelings, and he wants you to prove, uh, and Dr. Evans is trying to explain to Brother Kwame that, so the question is, if somebody was related to Jesus Christ, not even just, or Moses, because he already disputed the fact with our Rastafarian brothers who were, uh, their religion says that Haile Selassie was a direct descendant, and they say Haile Selassie is the king, was a direct descendant of, of King Solomon uh, in the Bible, and, and he disputed that. So Dr. Evans, I'll let you finish refuting the fact that what uh, uh, Dr. Walter Williams has been teaching people. Certainly, certainly, I'd be glad to, and I've had this conversation before, and um, it, it's, it's as simple as this. When we talk about proof as to whether Jesus uh, was an actual person that walked the earth. Then we look into historical annals. But let's bring it down to really something that is quite simple. Uh, the caller or Dr. Williams himself can only go back so far as to who his relatives are. And, and I would ask those who are listening, how far can you go back? Uh, so you have, if you want information relative to uh, to the existence of a connection biological, biologically rather, then you go back from where you are now, or you come up from the origin. Well, let me give you this: in the book of Luke, chapter three, beginning at verse twenty-three. It gives the entire genealogy of Jesus. So that has been established. But from Jesus forward, this is what I'm hearing. Are there any relatives? Jesus had six brothers and sisters. And I'm sure from either one of those, there is a tree that branches forward into this present day. But I would ask uh, Dr. Williams or whomever else, uh, where does your tree start? Where does your tree begin? Could, could, can you prove that you are a relative of some person in the past 2,000 years ago? Can you name your relative 2,000 years ago? Uh, and, of course, for African-Americans, that's very difficult to do to even go back uh, a couple of hundred years. And for Anglo-Saxons, it's very difficult to go back even for 450 years, so, let alone the preposterous uh, question as to does Jesus have any relatives today, 2,000 years. 
who can actually trace their relatives back. But listen, coming from coming from an anti-Christ spirit, I can understand that. Those who question the legitimacy of Christ is anti-Christ. That's an anti-Christ spirit. And if you're anti-Christ, then I can understand that where that's coming from. But if you understand the truth of history within itself, you'd have to concede that if Jesus and many of the disciples are written in the annals of Roman history, under the auspices of Augustus Caesar, Tiberius Caesar, Caligula, Claudius, Nero, it's all in the annals. Not only that, but even in the church in Egypt, at, at the Coptic church in Alexandria, Egypt, is written there. So, I mean, this, this is nonsensical from a natural standpoint, but those who question the legitimacy of Christ, um, that's an antichrist spirit, and I can understand that. And for to doubt that Muhammad ever exists, that is preposterous. In all Arabic writings, uh, it, it attests to that. Uh, it attests to the Quran itself, the reciting itself being legitimate. Uh, this, this is this is preposterous, and uh, I, I think that there should be uh, a, 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 an understanding as to uh, where these type questions come from and what actually fuel these questions themselves. All right. 13 away from the top. I got some more people want to talk to you. Let's go to line five. Dave's calling from Delaware. and wants to speak to the Faith Brothers. Good morning, Dave. You're on the Faith Brothers. Hotel, everyone. Hey, thanks for, uh, you know, allowing me to call in. I'm going to try to make it fast. But doctor just said a whole lot. There's so many ways I can attack that. But, uh, or I can counter that. Uh, first, I'm going to start back with my first question which is simply, don't you all think that the, knowing the true uh, fact of your religion, in other words, again, did Christ really exist as a man in human form, and how much of the Bible actually relates to that true figure? Did he exist? And then again, Muhammad. Who is Master Far Muhammad? Did Muhammad, you know, I mean, or whatever about Muhammad. Let me, let me just say this. That's my question. But he said so many things. Let me attack the Antichrist spirit thing first. No one's been an Antichrist, sir, when they uh, know Christ, know, know who Christ is, but they simply found out through history, because the Bible's not history. It's very relevant and great information, which I rely on every day, but it's not history. And so, therefore, um, you don't, you know, I, I, you know, there's so many, I lost my train of thought, but there's so many things to rely on. The Bible was great, but the Bible was written long after mankind, long after the existence of man, the spiritual spiritual culture of man, and then let's let's go to the cave walls. The cave walls that show the uh the Trinity. Uh cave walls that show other things like that. And and I'm not gonna ramble on. I'll give you time to talk. Please let me hold on so I can listen. Well, and the question is, Dave, what's the question again? Uh, what's, again? What's the question? I got lost. To, okay, sure. Isn't it important to understand the history, I mean, the true history, 
uh, because did Jesus exist? I mean, you can't just jump into Christianity and you haven't actually understood whether this Christ figure actually existed. That's my question. All right. Faith Brothers, you want to respond to what he just said? Let me work my way through this, um, uh, if I can, very briefly. Um, uh, You know, you said a lot of things, and it was purely supposition. You know, you were making precipitous leaps from speculation to fact. But when it comes down to anything that is history, sir, it is something that has happened in the past. And the authenticity of it is corroborated either by witnesses or even by that which is accurate in belief relative to certain other writings to corroborate it. That's what history is. What you did yesterday is history. Whoever was there that observed you do it, they can attest to it as a witness. But there are some including myself, I don't know what you did yesterday. You could say that and announce that, but who am I to believe that if I were not there? So now it's left to me to believe your witnesses. If I believe their, uh, uh, their veracity, the veracity uh, of what they're saying. Um, history is predicated, and you should know this, uh, on that which has occurred not only in the past, but that which can be corroborated and brought forward. That's why there is an attempt to unevenly shape our history uh, because of that. Now, as it comes to Jesus, his name and his deeds are written in more places than biblical scripture. Biblical scripture itself, sir, was actually not something that was concocted and just thrown together. But these, particularly the Pauline epistles, are letters that went to the actual called-out one, the ecclesia, the churches. These are actual letters. Uh, They're not just a construction or collection of, of books all put together at once. Biblical scriptures stems around that. The Torah, or the Pentateuch itself, represents letters of the attestation of witnesses and those particular things that are referring to spiritual matters. You cannot measure spiritual matters by your logic, sir, by your reasoning. It just can't happen. It won't happen. It is impossible to happen. One must be spiritual to even understand the things that are spiritual. So while it is good to say uh, that one questioned the validity of Christ and his existence, I will still say it again, sir. Those who oppose Christ or the existence of Christ is operating from an antichrist spirit. That's the pastor. The pastor. Uh, uh, Dave, we got we got to cut it short because we're coming up on a break. But I thank you. I thank you for your question. Yeah, but I thank you for your question, though. 
Yeah, thank you, Dave, because we're coming up on a break. And I want to give Pastor Manning a chance to respond to, to what you just said as well. So, f- folks, you want to join us? It's 800-450-7876. Having a discussion with the Faith Brothers, Dr. J. Edmonds and Pastor Kerwin Manning. And I want to get uh, Pastor Manning's response, too, about what uh, Dave in Delaware said. And we got some more folks got questions. You can reach us at 800-450-7876. But I mentioned we got to step aside and get caught up on the latest traffic and weather in our different cities. And if you're in Baltimore, they got news for you as well. And we'll be back in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOL. Be also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power. And good morning once again, family. A minute after the top of the hour with the Faith Brothers, Dr. Stephen Tate is on deck for out of Atlanta. We'll get to him momentarily, but I want to get uh, Pastor Manning to respond and to, to, to what uh, the question coming from uh, uh, Brother Kwame in North Carolina. So, uh, Pastor, I want to get to your thoughts before I take another call for you guys. Yeah, thank you. I, it, it, I think I'm just fascinated but not surprised. Over the past several years, um, people have asked this question, um, Kwame and Dave, and, and Dr. Edmonds has eloquently and scholarly, in a scholarly way, addressed it line by line, precept by precept, and given given the answer that was very um, very conclusive. Various methods and checkpoints of verification that he shared over the years, and yet people ask the same question, and, and it just confirms to me the scriptures are true because there's another element that, that's missing even from the ones that would ask, and that is this element of faith. And the, the book of Hebrews says, Hebrews eleven six says that without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who approaches him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Um, so so when, when someone comes with the question and with, with, you know, already in their mind, I'm not going to believe anything that I'm told, um, we go in this circular motion. I've never heard, I don't think anyone questions the existence of Caesar Augustus or the existence of Pontius Pilate ever living or Herod or Herodias. Um, and and I, I know why, because none of them claim to be the savior of the world, but they they existed and they were a part of the narrative of the Gospels. But yet um, the, the authenticity of Jesus is, is the one that's always questioned. But what I hear the doctor saying is that You've got the surrounding evidence that that helps verify um, and pinpoint what we're saying as well. So my prayer is that for those who you know, and and it doesn't for those who say I don't believe in God, my answer is always you know don't that's no worries because the good news is that God believes in you. And and my prayer to those who would ask questions like this repeatedly is that they would that that they would find a relationship with Jesus Christ. All right, let's take another call for you real quick. Let's go to Baltimore on line one. Dave's waiting for us. Dave, good morning. Uh, you're on with the Faith Brothers. Good morning. Is Dave there on line one? Go ahead, Dave. Make it real Hello. quick for us. D, I'm sorry. Good morning. Go ahead, D. Good morning. Good morning. Can you hear me? Okay. Good yeah, you're on the yeah, air. Go ahead. Just... Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, the pastor uh, just—I might as well hang up because he just said everything I wanted to say. 
regarding, um, uh, you know, the, the belief in who, who Christ is, who he was, did he exist, does he have family? I mean, I, I just commend the, uh, the pastors for, for, for really enduring this because um, I, I, I don't think it's, it's really important to the, the Christian because for the Christian, they, they, it, they, it really decri- uh, requires a degree of faith anyway. You know, and he he stole the exact scripture that I I wanted to 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 repeat. But um, the other thing I wanted to say is uh, the the other pastor touched on um, our existence or, 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 or our history. I believe the further we get away from um, slavery, the the more people like uh, the, the guy in Florida will will. Uh, challenge whether it even existed, whether it was ever even real. So that's the same thing that's happening here with with the belief in Christ or believing that he even ever existed. The further you get away from that, people are going to question, was it ever, did it ever even exist? Uh, and, and that's what's happening with with our history. It, 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 they're trying to erase it because it's, it's, we're so far away from the, 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 the beginning of it. So you know, I, I just commend the, the pastors for, for enduring this craziness. You know, I believe that, you know, the, the Bible also t- tells us that a, a, a wicked and adulterous uh, uh, generation look for signs. So, um, that's all I have. All right. Thanks, D. All right. Thanks, D. We're five after the top there. we got to run. Pastor Edmonds. Uh, uh, Pastor Manning, thank you again, because, you know, uh, these questions come up frequently when you guys are on. So you understand how, I guess, the, the, the audience or, or the listeners feel about this particular subject. But I want to thank you and commend you for responding. And uh, we got to do it again next time. And, and and hopefully some people are understanding where you guys are coming from as well. So your parting words, folks, if you want to hear more information from uh, Dr. Edmonds, Dr. Edmonds, how can folks reach you? Uh, they can reach me at the Edmonds Group Global uh, at gmail.com. And I'll say this on parting. Uh, it's time to come home, people. It's, it's time to come home. Look around you. Look at what is happening. The signs of the time are prevalent and the doors are about to be shut. It's time to come home. All right. And Pastor Matt, Pastor Matt are you in D.C. right now? No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm in Carlsbad, California, just a few miles from the okay. ocean. <laughs> but yeah, I can be, be found PasadenaChurch.com, Pasadena Church on Facebook and YouTube. And I just want to give a quick shout out and happy anniversary to my darling wife, Madeline, of 31 years. We're going to get ready to celebrate all day long, Brother Crowley and Dr. J. <laughs> all right. Uh, congratulations. Yeah, yes, you. sir. Happy anniversary. 31 right. years. That, hey, you guys should get an award for that. 31 years. Thank you. <laughs> Amen. Right. Thank you, guys. Thank you, right. Pastor Manning. And thank you, Dr. Edmonds, as well. Thank you for thank the, you all, all the information you supplied us this morning. All right, folks, we're going to keep moving. The six after the top of the hour. Let's go down to Atlanta, Georgia. Dr. Uh, Tate's waiting for us. Good morning, Dr. Tate. Good morning. How are you doing this morning? We're doing good. Interesting morning as usual here, but uh, glad to have you on this morning because you're going to share some information. You're saying that the CDC is predicting that there's going to be an outbreak of fungal uh, apocalypse. What is that? Well, what happens is that uh, CDC and the World Health Organization, but primarily CDC, 
says that we're in the early stages of a fungus apocalypse. Now, apocalypse kind of, you know, everybody kind of knows what that means. I mean, something serious, but with the um, previous um, COVID issues, man-made and, and mutated into a natural kind of virus, but along with that, with the weather changes, the floods, the earthquakes, the tornadoes, the rise in temperature and stuff, that has created, after that, a lot of new fungus and bacteria. And with the melting of the polar cap, that has reawakened old ancient fungus that's circulating in the water and in the air. Now, why is that important? This has an effect on our health, no matter where it is in the world, because we're connected to the earth. And a lot of stuff is airborne, it's going to be in our water, we have things that we're breathing, the quality of air has gone bad between the fires in Canada, and now, you know, the smog and pollution going across the country. Uh, it becomes even more important than ever to understand the basic things we need to do in order to improve our health, maintain our health, and build our immune system at the same time. Um, recess is over. Um, they, they, this planet is going through a detox. And if we're not cleaning our system up, a lot of us won't survive that physically, let alone emotionally. See people, you know, stressed out, losing their mind over the littlest of things. Some of that is emotional. A lot of it is just clogging of the glands and the clogging of the system, and people's old, deep-seated hatred or anger bubbles to the surface, and it's like they're going through crisis, but us good people are going through crisis as well, and everything's accelerated. And the fungus and bacteria is really, really bad. I've talked to a lot of my um, uh, colleagues and stuff and, and people who work in the hospital. More and more people are being rushed to the hospital with accelerated health problems, respiratory problems, colon problems, blood circulation problems, uh, at higher and higher and higher numbers. We can forget labeling and stuff because, you know, society likes to say, oh, this is Omicron 5.0 or anything like that. That's not important. Our health is deteriorating very rapidly, and we need to make some serious changes. Otherwise, you know, premature death, accelerated aging, memory problems like Alzheimer's and dementia is going to increase. Because um, everything is going to increase. I've seen people with, you know, unique fungus and bacteria in the system that looks like the old leper things that used to talk about uh, in the Bibles. You know, we talk about those leper colonies, and I've seen pictures of that. And I've seen people, you know, recently over the past few months has the same similar kind of patterns on their skin. We're going through serious health crisis, and we need to make some serious changes. Not tomorrow, not next week, but like now, today. Right. At 11 after the top of the hour with Dr. Stephen Tate out of Atlanta. Uh, Dr. Tate, but why is it this time of the year, it seems all these these medical issues crop up? Is there something about the change in in, in the atmosphere and the weather? Yeah, it's, you know, part of it is because, the, you know, the season and the heat, but it's the change in the atmosphere and the weather. 
Um, the quality of the air has gotten really, really bad. Uh, quality in our environments has gotten really, really bad. So it's the season, but it's the um, it's the air pollution. I mean, we need to learn how to breathe right. I mean, our respiratory system is getting worse, and when that gets worse, it has an effect on our entire body. But you know what? Today we've got a heat wave in Washington, D.C., and Baltimore, New York. You know, we're talking about 100 degrees up into the 90s, up and down the eastern seaboard. And a lot of places, too. A lot of places that usually don't have this kind of hot weather. They they, they have to deal with it. Is there anything special we should be doing, especially for today with, with the, the, the hot weather that we're dealing with? Well, I mean, I, and I've been, I've been on your show a number of times. Well, I've been blessed to be on your show a lot of times. Uh, what we need to do really doesn't change. We need to be consistent with it. And I'll give you some ideas with that. Um, because many of your listeners have heard me before, and I talk about these things. One of the things we need to do is make sure that we're getting a lot of water in our system. Starting our day with 16 ounces of water and sipping our water on and off throughout the day and looking at trying to get a minimum of 48 to 64 ounces of water in a day. We need to start doing an exercise we need to know how to do uh, abdominal breathing and what we call cleansing breaths to kind of cleanse stuff out of the system. One of the things that I've not mentioned a lot, but, you know, sweating, getting in steam rooms, stuff like that, opening the pores so some of that impurities are clogging the pores of our skin and our, our lungs are being sweated out while we're doing our normal breathing, abdominal breathing, because most of us don't know how to breathe right, increasing our water, getting better sleep, making sure that blood circulation is good, bowels are moving good. You know, I'm going to start looking at herbs like, you know, cayenne or burdock or gentian, uh, ginger to help that blood circulate. You know, looking at things like magnesium or smooth move tea or some other tea to help the bowels move, getting more fiber in our diet, changing our diet from that white bleached junk food that's only going to add to our health problem mixed with the environment. I mean, it comes back to those same things, but it's about having that consistency. You know, it's not, I'm doing this some of the time. It's something we have to be doing all the time to help us have a better chance to survive these changes that are going on in Europe. All right. Hold the thought right there, Doc. We're going to take a quick break and check the traffic and weather again in our different cities. you got a health challenge, reach out to Dr. Tate. He's one of the best in the business. Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. Gregory was here. He recommended everybody to Dr. Tate. In, in Atlanta, and, and, that, and for, for that reason, you know, the Hollywood types, 
They keep his number on speed dial. They got a hangnail. They're calling Dr. Tate. The politicians out there, you see out there, all these people, these prominent folks, the first, one of their first stops is, is Dr. Tate. If they have, if they have a headache that's lasting longer than a day. But Dr. Tate, I got a tweet question for you. Twitter says, uh, Dr. Tate, I appreciate you and trust you. When we spoke by phone, the first thing you asked was if I was on meds. You didn't advise me to stop taking them and replace with herbs like many of these people do just to sell their product. You offer reasonable advice. I stopped the sugar. I prepared my meals differently. Most of all, I didn't, st- it, it, most of all, I didn't stress me or anybody out. If folks have high blood pressure with great advice, you can get it under control, but sometimes it's hereditary and manageable. All right, I guess the, there's, there's a little question in there, but you talked about high blood pressure. Dr. Tate, what do you do for high blood, if you have high blood pressure? McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Well, um, some, of the, some of the same things that I, I mentioned earlier, you've got to make sure your body's hydrated, you know, plenty of water. You also want to make sure that... Um, your uh, even if you're on medication, knowing what type of products or herbs that you want to take to help help lower the blood pressure. That's something my colleagues can call afterwards and leave messages, and I can give them ideas based on the medication around. But some of the herbs that helps with that is things like burdock root, gentian root, ginger, garlic. Cayenne just helps that it helps that circulation. Lack of bowel movement elevates your blood pressure. The average person I see, I'll ask them, "Well, how frequent is your bowel movement?" Don't say normal. I say, "Well, what the heck is normal?" Oh, uh, two, three times a week. I'm like, "Oh God, that's not normal." Okay, <laughs> bowels need to be moving daily. If not, it builds up waste not only in the intestines and lungs but in the bloodstream, which slows down and makes the blood circulation more sluggish, which makes the heart and the body have to pump and and work harder, which then elevates the blood pressure. Then we'll have things with stress and anxiety. You have to know, you know, the water consumption, the exercise. You really need to know how to breathe. You really need to know how to get a life. Um, you really need to look at things that will help reduce the stress. Magnesium is something that's good, especially near bedtime, that will help with that rest and sleep. Um, Having a life, I mean, all these things have a bearing, but one of the number one things that contributes to a lot of our problems, believe it or not, is sleep deprivation. You know, Brother Gregory used to come on talking about it, and I'm an advocate of people understanding the dangers of um, long-term sleep deprivation and how that 
you know, contributes along with the stress to the elevated blood pressure. So the better you sleep, the lower the numbers. If you were to go online and look at the 10 uh, long-term effects of sleep deprivation, one of the top ones is it weakens your immune system, which leaves you vulnerable to high blood pressure, cholesterol, diabetic conditions, or makes the conditions you already have worse. But let me give you an example, Kyle. To say, for example, my diet and everything else is the way it's supposed to be. Okay, fine. Okay, I exercise, drink my water, do my breathing, get enough rest, all that. Not, not rest, but do everything else, but I'm sleep deprived. Sleep deprivation all by itself will contribute to hypertension, heart attacks, strokes, because the body has been weakened and nothing functions right and there's not a good flow, you know, uh, of uh, the blood and urine throughout the systems uh, and helping to, fl- helping to flush the system. So, you know, these types of things, you know, are a problem. And if I was going to do a list like, one, two, three, four, five in priorities. I always kind of do one A, one B, one C, one D, one E. And one A would be sleep deprivation. And one B would be lack of water. One C would be not knowing how to breathe right. One D is not exercising. One E would not be eating right. But you know, sleep deprivation, water, breathing are those top A, B, and C. And you have to have all of them in place. Magnesium is one thing. I can recommend other types of things that would be unique to help people sleep based on the problems with sleep. But now, let me describe what sleep deprivation is. Sleep deprivation is people who can't get to sleep or sleep, wake up, sleep, wake up, sleep, wake up. Okay? Another one is like you sleep all night but wake up, you're tired and sluggish. The one that will fool us is we sleep, wake up, think we have decent energy, say, oh, I had some good sleep. No, you were unconscious. You know, Muhammad Ali, they were going to knock you out. I mean, it's about the same amount of good sleep, which is none. And we live on that hyper or adrenaline energy. My mind's telling me I got to go to work. I got to do this. I got to do that. We translate into energy, but by midday, the body starts to crash and burn because it didn't get that good deep sleep. And part of that problem is is that when we're unconscious and think we're getting that good sleep, our mind is still working. Two, three hours after the body is unconscious, which means that time that the mind's still working, it's, it's like you're awake. So they, the immune system goes down, and then you sleep deprived. And when your immune system goes down, even when you're drinking the water, trying to eat right, uh, your immune system down, so you're not absorbing as much water, you're not getting as much nutrients, you're getting some, but not enough. So those three is that sleep deprivation, that breathing and that water. And most people don't know how to breathe right. You know, you need to learn how to do that abdominal, uh, navel kind of breathing because that's where the oxygen needs, you know, to build from, if I'm making sense. 
Yeah. Now, hold on. All right. 28 minutes out of the top there. I've got a tweet question for you, Dr. Tate. Twitter wanted to know if colonics are good for you because she has a problem. Uh, she has a problem. She says it's sluggish. Her bowel movement is sluggish, so she wants to get a colonic. Is, is, is that the answer? Well, that's one of the answers, okay? Yeah, the things I've mentioned with the fiber foods and the greens and the fruits and the herbs um, uh, and the sleep and the exercise, you want to have those things in place. Then when you're doing the colonics, you know, before, during, you know, these lifestyle changes, they're, they're very, very helpful because, They'll get further into the system with that water than than a simple animal. It's water in, water out, water in, water out. You know to help loosen up that hard concrete mass of waste that's all along our intestinal walls that contribute to all kind of nightmares. You want to check like any other professional and make sure you have somebody's experience with it. You don't want to go to somebody just graduated from colon school. I'll wait a while, you know, (laughs) until you've got that together. But that does help, but it's not a cure-all. There's no one thing's a cure-all. It's all a combination. The clinics will help, you know, um, and periodically you want to get them. I've gotten them, and my system is pretty clean, but everyone from I know a lot of colon therapists. And they'll say, Doc, you want to come in? to get the plumbing cleaned, I said, yeah, 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 it's about time. You know, breathing in too much impurities, you know, not getting enough of the right kinds of um, rest and stuff because my sometimes my job has me up, dealing you know, with calls all around the country, uh, different time zones and stuff. So sometimes my body needs that, you know, extra little flush. So I'll go get one or two of them. You start to get that movement. But for most people... When they get a colonic, they see how thick that mucus and poisons and how dark that poisons is in their body as it's coming out because old-fashioned colon therapy, they had these tubes where you could see the water coming in and then the waste coming out. And I'm seeing some people freak out and say, oh, no, that looks like old strawberries or, you know, coming out of my system. I have eaten strawberries in weeks and in months. We can store waste in our system, and the more weight we have, and that's not the only barometer, but the more weight we have, the more impaction in our system, the more we need things that are going to help those bowels to move. And a colonics is a good part of that. All right, 29 away from the top of the hour. Uh, I got a question for you, but I got a tweet question. Let me, I'll hold the tweet question. We talked about colonics and how long, does, how long does food stay in your body? That hamburger that you had on Labor Day or that the pork chop, how long before it, it you pass it out? Or do you, you ever? Pa- you pass some out, but you, here's the scary thing. You can store food waste from food you ate 5, 10, 50, 20 years ago, let me give you an example. Um, pancakes. Remember in the days when we didn't know we used to make those homemade pancakes, you know, with the flour and the milk and the eggs and all that kind of stuff. And that stuff hardens in the bone if you don't, you know, make your pancake. That stuff hardens in our system along the intestinal walls, in our lungs, 
in our prostate, in our reproductive system, everywhere in the body, and it turns into hard concrete. It's either hard concrete or cesspools of waste, and that can sit for years and years and years until we make these changes to start to move this stuff out. When you see skin outbreaks um, or rashes, discoloration, any of those types of things going on in the skin, it's the body's unsuccessful attempt at trying to flush impurities out of the system. You notice I said unsuccessful because it's just the body trying to protect itself by trying to remove a little bit of the waste out or at least trying to. But, yeah, it can store forever in the body. Wow. We're going to take a quick break and our last look at the news, traffic, and weather in our different cities. When we come back, though, I've got two tweets. I'm, I'm going to combine both of them. The tweeter says, will you ask Dr. Tate how many hours of deep sleep should we get? The other tweet wanted to know, when sleeping, should you sleep on your right side, your left side, or center, or straight up? So if you, I'll let you answer the sleep questions when we get back. Folks, you, want, you got a question for Dr. Tate? you got a health challenge? Take advantage of his expertise now. It's free. Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. In the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power. Good morning again, family. 20 minutes away from the top of the hour. I guess Dr. Tate and I said, take advantage of his expertise, folks. It's free. And I told you, many of the rich and famous that you know of, they have him on speed dial. <laughs> they get a headache and they, they're calling Dr. Tate. But anyway, 800-450-7876. Number to call to speak to Dr. Tate. Before we go back to him, though, I just want to remind you, coming up tomorrow, the Minister of Wellness will be here, uh, Nathaniel Jordan, along with uh, attorney Enkichi Taifa and chemotologist Tony Browder. So if you're in uh, Baltimore, make sure your radio's locked in real tight on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. All right, before we left for the, the news, traffic, and weather update, Dr. Tate, uh, I'm combining two tweets. They're all about sleep. Eddie said, uh, will you ask Dr. Tate how many hours of deep sleep we should get? And Janice wants to know, should you sleep on your right, your left side, or on your back? Okay. And before I answer, though, one other thing I want to mention, sleep deprivation can affect people trying to lose weight and can contribute to obesity. So when you're trying to deal with uh, losing weight or removing poisons from the body, and you have, you're sleep-deprived, that ends up you know, being that ends up being a problem. Now, uh, going back to that, how many hours of sleep you want to get about six, seven hours of sleep, but four, five, four of those hours need to be that deep sleep. Now, that deep sleep is that kind that you get when you have that power nap. You know where you know you middle of the day or end of the day, you know you find yourself you sleep for you know, 30, 40 minutes, you're lucky an hour. And that sleep is so deep that when you wake up, it's like, okay, where am I? And then if you figure out where you are in your house, next thing you want to know is, is it morning or is it night? You know, I know I'm supposed to be doing something. That's an indication that your mind got that rest as well. So four of those hours out of at least six hours needs to be that level of deep sleep. 
that means that that rest and that deep rest and sleep is helping to relax and revitalize the cells, you know, in the body. Now, as far as positions, um, sleeping on your back uh, tends to be the best. Sometimes when people have back problems, so you can, you know, put a pillow or something under your knees. Um, and if you don't, having that under the arches to back right. Then there's some sleep pillows that you can have that, you know, that, um, that forms with the neck so that the neck is not strained, which then also helps with the quality of sleep. If you're sleeping on your left or right side, sometimes having a pillow in between, um, in between your knees also helps, you know, with that, you know. Stomach sleeping is probably the worst kind. You know, sleeping on your back is the best. Left or right side, um, that's really an individual thing. But that pillows and that curved cervical pillow so that the spine is aligned, especially when you're on your back. And then maybe a pillow under your knees helps with back and neck problems, but also helps with that quality of sleep as well. I got you. I got some folks who want to talk to you at 16 away from the top. Yeah, let's go to line two. Marcus is calling from Southwest D.C. Marcus, good morning. You're on with Dr. Tate. Uh, yes, good morning, Carl. Good morning, Dr. Tate. Uh, I have a question about a thyroid condition that I have. Mm-hmm. And I'm taking medication for it, and, but uh, I was wondering, do I need to have a certain diet to go along with it or eat certain foods? Yeah, yeah. Now, the thing is, is that is your thyroid over or underactive? Is it hypo or hyper? It's underactive. It's underactive. Okay. So yeah. part of the things you need when it's underactive, you need more uh, sea herbs, like, you know, ocean herbs, like spirulina, sea moss, Irish moss, because the sea moss tends to have a lot of selenium in it. And even more selenium than the selenium by selenium by itself that helps in strengthening and nourishing the you know, thyroid and helping it function better. The blood circulation, the sleep, the water as mentioned before, that all tends to help with that. And then on top of that, you want to look at maybe some turmeric, black pepper to reduce inflammation in the body and around the thyroid. Uh, and looking at more anti-inflammatory foods. But then when the thyroid is off, the other areas we need to look at is our adrenal glands and our liver. The liver regulates all the glands in the body, including the thyroid. So when you have a thyroid issue, um, along with like CMOS or selenium, you want to make sure you're strengthening the liver because the liver regulates the thyroid, which means it helps the function of the thyroid. And the best herb or supplement to help with the liver, along with the water consumption and the sleep and everything I mentioned, would uh, be milk thistle. Milk thistle by itself or milk thistle with dandelion in order to um, help that body, uh, help that liver, which turn helps regulate the thyroid. And the other is our adrenal gland. And adrenal fatigue, which you've heard that a lot, is emotional fatigue, you know, emotional drain and stress. 
and some of the best things to help to build your adrenal gland along with the stuff I mentioned earlier is your B vitamins or your B complex, especially like your stress B complex to help to help uh, relax that adrenal. So the adrenals help regulate the thyroid, but the liver regulates everything. Liver has an effect on 500 major or minor functions in the body, including our heart. Liver is like the mother to the heart, you know, and it purifies the blood. But it's when I see people with thyroid problems, it's always about working with the liver. Now, if we do be underactive, those um, things like spirulina and iris moss and sea moss and sea herbs are good. If you're overactive, or hyper, that means you've got too much iodine in the system, which means you don't want to do seafood, you don't want to do uh, sea herbs. You get the other herbs like um, uh, your dark green leafy greens, like your kale and your spinach and stuff like that. But the sea herbs or fish and stuff would only aggravate uh, because it's high in iodine the uh, thyroid, if the thyroid is overactive. If it's overactive, that means that your your body's burning stuff up too quickly. But then the water and everything else will kind of help along with that. All right. Thanks, Marcus. Okay. We'll keep moving. Thank you very much. You're welcome. All righty. 12 away from the top of the hour. Uh, Glaude's calling us from Baltimore. Glaude's on line one. Glaude, good morning. You're on with Dr. Tate. Yeah, good morning again, Dr. Tate. And uh, I'm Paul Nelson. And Dr. Tate, you know I have uh, your herbs that I have. I've been taking them. My question is, like 15 years ago, I had a cabbage done, and uh, I was one. And they tell me that I can't get off my meds, so I'm still taking the meds along with your herbs. And I'm kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. And I love Dr. Savy, son of Savy. You know, he has some herbs too for uh, for certain things. So would it be a problem if I mix both of them together? Because I still, you know, I believe in taking herbs. I've been taking herbs for a while. I love it. I love it. I love it. So would it be okay. a problem me still take, taking his herbs and your herbs? Okay. To Together, no. But you can do some herbs and medication on the same day. thing is, is that, and I have a lot of people call me about this, there are certain herbs that work well on the same day that you're taking medication, depending on the medication, there's certain herbs you cannot take with certain types of medication. That's why I tell people to call me in order to make sure that, you know, the supplements and herbs you're taking are not going to be in a fight with the medication. But you can do both because then the herbs and stuff will help you um, help you eventually be able to maybe start to wean off some of that medication through the proper supervision, but it's got to be a balance between both. Now, you can give me a call later, leave a message. Any of the people that call me, they got to mention the Kyle Nelson show. We get a little extra perks with that. Right, <laughs> okay. right, right. Just call me. Yeah, I don't know who you are, but you mentioned the show. You got a pen. <laughs> Give, let me give you the number now quickly, okay? Um, yeah, I, I would have it. I got it, though. 
Okay. Then we leave the uh, next thanks, week. Lord. Uh, uh, well, Doc, well, I'll let you give it out before we leave because we, some more yeah. folks want to talk to you real, real quick. Oh, okay. And and the issue is with, with Doctor, he's a naturopathic doctor, so he, he uses herbs. The, the guys in the white suits, you take medication. There's always side effects. There's no side effects from herbs. But Doc, uh, Jeanette uh, just uh, tweeted and says, "Is there a way to normalize eye pressure?" She says she's got dry eyes. There are ways to... Yeah, Kevin, can you hang up on line one for us if we get into uh, uh, feedback there? Thank you. There All right, Dr. Dr. Tate, uh, Jeanette's question. Okay, there are ways to reduce the eye pressure. I mentioned the water. I mentioned the sleep. I mentioned the anti-inflammatory diet and the anti-inflammatory herbs like the garlic or the turmeric and black pepper. You want... Uh, to reduce the inflammation in the body and reduce the inflammation around your eyes. And then uh, cold water therapy also helps reduce pressure uh, and, and around the eyes, but also inflammation in the body, which affects the blood flow, which affects everything, including your eyes. Then learning how to do some what we call eye exercises, vision exercises, to strengthen the muscles, help their blood flow, and uh, help reduce and flush waste out of the system. But here's the thing. If you're clogged and have a lot of mucus in your lung, in your sinuses and in your lungs, some of that mucus and waste goes up into your eyes and in your ears because that's all part of you know, similar areas. So sometimes some of the waste, inflammation, you know, other kind of stuff is contributed to by the problems in the lungs and sinuses, and that waste is coming backing up like a stopped-up sink into your body, and up into your lungs and sinuses, and into your eyes. So sometimes learning how to drain the waste out from the intestines and the lungs starts to pull it out from the eyes and the ears and helps that body in its healing process. All right. We got 60 seconds left. Uh, so, uh, Dr. Tate, how can folks reach you? For the folks who didn't get a chance to ask you questions today, how can they reach you? Okay. The best number would be 404-435-9336. And the reason why I'm giving that number is because people can text me as well. And again, that number is 404-435-9336. Mention the Kyle Nelson Show. You know, and then I can give you ideas on uh, other eye ways to do with sleep deprivation and everything else that we've talked about uh, on this call today. All right. And, and he just says that because he gets so many calls, folks. And, and I just want to thank you for rearranging your schedule to, to give us this hour this morning to help us out. But one more time with our phone number. Okay. Our number again is 404-435-9336. All right. Thanks, Dr. Tate. And thanks for all the work that you do. That's Dr. That's Dr. Stephen Tate in Atlanta. Thank you, Dr. Tate, one more time. Thank you, Kyle. Thank you, Kyle, for allowing me to be on your show. And you and your family, be blessed and be safe. All right, will do. Folks, we're out of here. Stay strong, stay positive, please stay healthy. We'll see you tomorrow morning, 4 o'clock, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB, also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and 
1450 WOL for information is power.